This is the A. I'm Reg Clay. Lamont Rigel. <laughs> this is the A where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. <laughs> and Lamont's not going to say yay. We, <laughs> yay! <laughs> we are sponsored by Central Works, a new play theater, headed up by Gary Graves and Jans Leifler. Central Works, reinventing theater one play at a time. We want to thank Central Works for sponsoring the Yay. And we want to thank our uh, consulting producer, Mallory Samara. You're listening to Lamont Rigel because uh, Norman is uh, doing San Francisco Mime Troupe. So he's in rehearsal right now. I think they open tomorrow. So I'm sure they're doing their Hell Week or whatever. And we have a fantastic guest, Giancarlo. Giancarlo, I want to get your carriola. Yep. Right on. <laughs> you and I, we shared the stage at Bendelstiff. You were senior cheap uh, for N.A. Dallas's uh, world-famous Lechon. We closed this weekend. Was it this weekend? It was this past weekend. This past weekend, yes. Wait, wait, wait. Was it? I, I get a time July warp. <laughs> we're in July now. It's July 1st. It was because we did load out the middle of the week. Yeah, yeah. Giancarlo, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. I just got off work. We're looking at, is my mic okay? Am I echoing just in my headphones or is it? No, it should be. Yeah, you're okay? fine. Yeah. Um, just getting off work. Um, nice long week. Looking forward to the weekend, the long weekend. Yeah. So, how you guys I, I, yeah, you got your golf clubs right there. I'm looking at it. <laughs> oh, I always have my golf clubs. There's no, I, I have my golf clubs on me. They're not getting left in the car anywhere. I, oh, no, no, no. You can't I'll leave that. them outside if you like, if you feel like, if anybody feels away. If they're like, oh, no, you're no, golf. They're, they're safe here. Like, there's, like I walk into a house with them sometimes and there's a person and they're just like, oh, we don't do golf in this house. We don't <laughs> like it's against golf. like the rules. Oh yeah. my god, I'm so sorry. You can bring the clubs. You don't you don't have to necessarily play golf in here, but uh <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. No, it is awesome having you and we were gonna have uh Aaron um on, but I think he's been busy. But um no, it's good to have you. Thank you for having me. Uh, Lamont, what's been going on with you? We last had you, it was last October. <laughs> We were talking about whether Trump was going to be elected, and you were worried. Uh, luckily, we survived that, although we're about to get into current events. <laughs> but you said there was going to be some mess. You, I remember very distinctly, you were like, listen, there's going to be some mess. It's going to be messy. And Lord behold, we did not realize how, how bad it was going to be. But before we talk about all that, how are you? I'm doing great. That's wonderful. <laughs> You're you're involved. You're about to do. You're involved in something right now, aren't you? Developing a prod. You know, I. What am I doing? Well, the audience can't see me, but I have facial hair. <laughs> I let, yeah, I, you usually I, don't I, have a beard. I, I stopped confirm. shaving uh, about a month and a half ago, so I'm working on a a friend's independent film. It's called Recitas, and I play a retired chef hmm. that I just. I think recently moved into a senior facility. So it's a little bit of how you meet new people, how do you meet older people, and how do you become acquainted and, and make friends. Interesting. And nice. we're going to do that through food. Oh, nice. So we started shooting last weekend, and mm-hmm. I think we're skipping this week because of the holiday, and we're going to finish up next week. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Nice. Very, very cool. Interesting. Do you notice, I mean, we've, Norman and I, we've talked about the distinction between acting for film and acting for the stage. Do you have a preference of what you like one way or another? You know, I, stage. Yeah, of course. Acting for film, it's a little slow. It's repetitious. And there's, you can only be 
spontaneous once or twice mm-hmm. because if it's spontaneous and they like it that means you have to repeat it <laughs> till they get enough shots sure and sure it, and then it gets old fast yeah so i i theater Giancarlo, I'll ask you the same thing. And we actually were fil- we filmed um, in Adalase as well. And that'll be, I can't wait for that to, uh, to stream. But aside from that, have you done film before? Yeah, we actually shot a film during COVID. Uh, Nicole Makshali. Shout out Nicole Makshali. Right on. Uh, another Bindlestuff um, mm-hmm. alum, uh, OG, just gangster, uh, amazing creator. Mm-hmm. Um, so through COVID, we're also with Christina Ying's workshop, her writing workshop. Um, came up with a, uh, an independent short where she, Nicole, like, and her husband, Pierre, shout out Pierre, congratulations to the baby. Um, they all, they financed it themselves. Nice. And so we shot a couple things, actually, but Love and Corona was the first thing. It's actually on the film, uh, on the independent film circuit. We made it a bunch of festivals. Um, they were just in, we were in Oakland um, at Campfest, and then uh, they went down to SoCal and were there, the screen, they had a screening at, I think it was supposed to be at the Chinese Man Theater, but mm-hmm. when I got there, it was actually like next door, or I'm not sure. Oh, okay. I couldn't make it, and so, uh, but it had an amazing time, and yeah. so we shot that. Um, I shot an independent film back in like '09 too. Yeah. If there's um, any online, let, let me have the link, and yeah, I yeah. can put it up with here. But do you prefer? I mean, I'm sure you prefer live stage, but um, 100. Yeah. 100 live performance. You can't beat it. Like live, the theater, the collaboration that you bring, the energy of number one, the creation that it takes from the written to the director mm-hmm. to the producers the ADs the production like everybody and then the actors and the casting and everything yeah and, the, and all of us bringing our own individual art to it the whole mash of that and the like the rehearsal and the creation and the finding and then the audience when you yes. bring it to audience yeah it's great we could all do it when we're a bunch of actors and directors we can all crack each other up and have a good time and do it and that's what we do all the time but when we do it for an audience who's there and there's and there the audience is usually um you know it could be a huge mix of artists but not necessarily performance it could be regular people who don't have any desire not one minuscule desire to be on stage in front of people talking, yeah, acting, right. creating characters. So true. But, but ironically enough, they become participants as well. I mean, they become part of the show. They are 50%. They are, I, I remember our closing night. There was such a, uh, I mean, and this is a typical Bendelstead yeah, thing. I've, every I've been in every, yeah. every closing night. There's such a vibe or just, you know, the audience gives you so much that it feeds the performance. The performance actually changes. I mean, you, you hear about performances where the actor just basically does the same thing over and over every single night. No new discoveries or anything like that, which is horrible. But there are times where the audience feeds you so much, all of a sudden your performance changes. Yeah. And it's like the audience is participating as well. Yeah. And th- and those, are, those are cool moments. Yeah, it's right. great. But you can't repeat that in film. I mean, you, it's not the same. Thing. Yeah, not it's really. Too, it's, <laughs> it's apples and oranges. Because you know? as, you, as you're becoming more comfortable with your character, so is your cast member. Yes. And the other cast members. Right. So every single performance tends to then tweak and become different as it changes, as it evolves into something a little different because you're becoming, each one of you are becoming more comfortable with your characters. Mm-hmm. So you start hearing things differently. You say things differently. Which right. adds just another moment to the 
to the scene, to the stage, mm-hmm. to adding to the story. So yeah. that's the amazing part. And it's live. Yep. Live. Live is hard yeah. to beat. Live is wonderful. Yeah, I um, I mean, we'll talk more and more about this. Um, there have been some current events. I mean, the, it, this has been a... Uh, a strange week <laughs> with uh, the Supreme Court uh, just um, – well, this week and also last week. I mean uh, with uh, the Supreme Court, the fall of Roe, deregulation of climate change, more guns. You know, um, people can open carry without having a permit. Uh, prayer in schools, which affects folks who are not Christian, who are also American. And people are wondering what's next. I mean, you know, there's talk that gay lesbian rights are next, you know, the right to marriage, uh, same-sex marriage. Um, Did you have a visceral reaction? Uh, I'll just ask the both of you. uh, Because I I work in a law office, and I remember walking in immediately after – this was actually before Roe. They were reacting to, uh, you know, the open carry, and there were just lawyers who were just screaming, (laughs) just frustrated. um, But – are you worried? I'll, I'll, I'll just put it that way. Are you worried about uh, where we're going? Because we may be living with these 6-3 decisions for a long, long time. That uh, – I didn't have a visceral reaction because, let's face it, we're still in the pandemic. Yeah. So if anything, it was – it's almost like you're in an onion and instead of the – you're peeling the onion outward. Mm-hmm. The onion is peel closing in on you because mm-hmm. it's layer upon layer upon layer upon layer yeah. of something that, for the most part, isn't positive. It's more negative, more negative, a little negative. Yeah. And if it doesn't affect you, it affects someone that you know. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a constant state of being aware of what what has just happened mm-hmm. and then if it doesn't affect you it's going to ricochet and affect someone else that you know yeah gene carl you're married um your your wife rochelle i mean have you guys had conversations after roe or or how has it affected you and your family i mean it's affected us because in in our youth you know we've gone through times when they're just like where we just in our own individual coming up or mm-hmm. um we couldn't there was no way that we could be parents hmm. and yeah. so it was it's and to have it's you can't how do you take away rights that aren't yours that aren't yeah how, how, and how do those decisions how are those decisions getting made by people of your same sex like it's nuts like how are these things getting passed on how are you letting these things happen in yeah. a conversation yeah. but for for me and Ro you know our life is super blessed and so yeah. and you have kids right we do we have a 14 year old girl and a 9 year old boy yeah and now have you had conversations about with your daughter uh, maybe your your wife has conversations with daughter because she's coming of age where she's dating right yeah she's actually one that puts us up on on knowledge when it comes to it because the youth mm-hmm. are tapped in they're cool. super tapped in, and Very so cool. they know, and they're we're all supportive, one thousand one hundred bazillion percent behind whatever kind of passions that she has, and yeah. so um, with her and her friends and everything, there you know, there's um, that's what I'm hoping for the future is that the youth will help like start making the changes. The mm-hmm. onion is closing around us, but hopefully the youth can push back against that. Yeah. Yeah. And have a flower come out of the onion, you know. <clears throat> exactly. So I mean, it's amazing that the Supreme Court um, 
Because the vast majority of Americans do not believe. I mean, I don't care, really care how much the conservatives feel they're winning. I still feel that America in general is a liberal country. I mean, we voted for Barack Obama twice. Even when Trump won, Hillary won 303 million more votes. She just didn't win them in the right districts. Well, to piggyback on what Obama was saying, it's, just, yeah. it's so much negative on negative on yes. negative, and it's just getting heavy for everybody to deal with. You're in the pandemic. You're dealing with that on top of all the shootings yeah. and these, like, the Supreme Court, all of these things layering on you as a regular, like, American. It, it gets ridiculously heavy, and so you have to find ways to to com- compartmentalize. Sure. You have to find those things. Because it's slowly becoming, again, this is mm-hmm. me, it's slowly feeling as if we're slowly becoming an us versus them. It is. It, it becomes football. It becomes Alabama-Auburn or, you know, I don't know, Lakers-Warriors. And, and the them. Yeah. The them want to take us back to the 50s or the 40s where yeah. only a certain group of people Mm-hmm. had rights and abilities, yeah, and everybody else didn't. Well, it's, you know, I've talked about the fourth great awakening. I promise, folks, we're going to talk about theater. <laughs> but this is important because, you know, there are so many theater companies and shows that deal with a lot of this. Like prior to doing uh, Bindlestiff, I was part of Th- Pear Slices, and there were talks. Bridget Dutta Portman wrote a piece about, you know, the pandemic in the 1400s. I think it was the bubonic plague and how people, you know, and write, writing a parallel between how people thought then and now. Um, so, I mean, it, I think theater reflects what's happening in life. Uh, you're absolutely right. It becomes us versus them. And, and the Fourth Great Awakening, televangelism, the religious right, they've been waiting to take over. And, you know, sort of write what they think is a wrong, you know, oh, my God, the country's gone wrong. We have women who are deciding what to do with their bodies as if, you know, their <laughs> their fruit, their uh, frosted flakes are going to taste differently if Jimmy and Bobby are having a relationship, you know, next door. I mean, what's the big deal? It's fucking crazy. It's yeah. so nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Today starts this thing in Florida, the don't say gay in Florida. Yeah, Ron DeSanto, who is becoming the front runner. Yeah. Kidding me. It makes me very happy to be in California. Um, And not only that, Rhode Island, um, oh, I'm sorry, uh, Tennessee made homeless camps a felony. Did you hear about this? I heard that right before I walked out of the house. The criminality of being broke, being poor. That's amazing. This world is crazy. See, and the thing for me, being a soldier, being a veteran, like who's been yeah. in combat for for the army, for this country, it's it gets tough sometimes to defend and to be like proud to be an American. But you you hold it, you know, you hold in your belief. Mm-hmm. You just hold it, and you have to know that deeper than that, because I know that I'm American, and I am not that. Yeah, I'm a soldier, and I and am not that. And, and unfortunately, it forces veterans to ask that question all the time. What is an American? What does that even mean? Yeah. I had a podcast. Unfortunately, it sort of died out. I'm an American, too, where I interviewed individuals who were not born in America to get their views on American life. You know, immigrants. And I did it especially when, in 2017, when Trump was having the zero, toler- zero tolerance policy as far as separating Latino children from their parents. And um, it was interesting because I spoke to individuals from uh, China, from uh, India, from um, 
Philippines, a lot of Filipino folks, uh, one from Canada, Ben Couch, I don't know if you uh, know him, but he, he actually acted in Bendelstiff. He's um, British. But in any case, the consensus was that they came to America thinking, well, you know, it's freedom, man. I can actually do the things that I want to do that I can't do in my own country. But then they're like, oh, wait a minute. We didn't realize that Trump is here, and now the temperature's changing. <laughs> what the hell's going on here? Well, and they're still – did we ever close that chapter? Have those immigrant children ever been reunited with their, with their parents? See, so their that's, something that, that's something that Biden's not talking about. And, yeah. and the thing is, because they didn't have any paperwork when they separated the kids, it's hard to right. relink these, you know, these kids to their parents. I don't know. I don't know that answer. That's, that's a good point. Um, on a lighter note, I was also going to bring up that the Uvalde school chief, who was it, who was the chief of police in the in the of the police force that was involved in the mass shooting, that didn't go into the school. I'm sure we know the story. He's supposed to show up at these board meetings to talk about the status of the investigation as to what happened to the officers. He has been AWOL, just missing, just not showing up for the second straight time. So. That's fascinating. I mean, I feel bad. I mean, Jean Carl, I know you have a daughter, and I mean, I, I talked to my niece, who's actually going to Duke Ellington School of the Arts, my alma mater. I'm so happy for her. This is her first year studying theater. And I'm like, you guys have um, uh, detectors, metal detectors, don't you? It's like, oh, yeah. What are you talking about? Didn't you have metal detectors? I'm like, no. <laughs> no. It's not a world that I'm used to. So, so that guy was... A strategic genius, obviously. <laughs> oh, the, uh, the this chief, uh, chief, chief, the freaking yeah. most like. Durr, 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 yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Listen, as a parent, and you're in Texas, where you're allowed to fucking have a gun. Yeah. I'm kicking in that door. I'm like, you guys stay, shoot me. I'm going in. You fucking shoot me, cops. I'm going in to get exactly. my kid. Exactly. That's me. Exactly. I'm 100% kicking in that door. Every they didn't even check the fucking door. Are you kidding me? Dude, so many, so many officers. I mean, it's it's incredible. Cowards. I'm sorry. That's the no, that's right. the number one thing that comes to my mind. Exactly. Is cowards. Yeah. And isn't he allowed so many absences and then he's booted off? Exactly. If he misses one more, then he's. Boot- I think that's why no, he's doing it. This whole thing, it falls in line with his character that he's shown. Yeah. One hundred percent. You don't expect you expect a snake to be a snake. You expect a rat to be a rat. You yeah. don't expect a rat to be kind of a duck all of a sudden. And you know, I understand fear. I mean, there was another individual who was not a police officer. He was a sort of a um, what do you security, call it? A security uh, guard. Yeah. Well, I forget what they call them. Yeah, when there was an active shooter, and people were dumping on him, and I, I sort of felt sympathy for him. But if you are a sworn officer. You, that's what you pay to do. I mean, you're paid to, it's almost like being, you know, in the army. You know, you know what you're getting into. Um, I, I am such a sensitive person and such a visual person when I, like, in performance and in life, you know, it's all visual. I see the scene. I see the, anywhere I can be, I can, like, visualize something very, very close to real in my mind. And so, having, and I can also feel pain. Like, I saw this one time when I was a kid, I saw this skating video, a video where this guy fell and hit his head. Ooh. And so he and I reacted to that by like kind of passing out. Wow. They were like, what happened? And I was wow. like, dude, I saw the dude hit his head and I sort of yeah. like felt oh. that. And so when I think about those children in that in that room, yeah. there's well, I have zero sympathy for any adult standing outside. I mean the parents, I'm sorry. You're, you're the parents I'm not talking about. I'm talking about anybody out there with yeah. a vest and a gun and bullets. Exactly. And, are you kidding me? If you're a sworn me? officer, exactly. yeah. yeah. 
On a lighter note, because <clears throat> I tried to squeeze in some fun stuff. <laughs> nice. <laughs> in Rhode Island, well, I think this is fun. Um, Dunkin' Donuts uh, had a giveaway for, uh, I guess they were uh, in, this is in Rhode Island, Cranston, Rhode Island. They were giving away coffee because it's like their 30th anniversary. And there's a... Um, there's a town called, I guess, White Cranston. It's called White Cranston. <laughs> and they were giving uh, – they, they uh, someone screwed up and says, we're giving away free coffee to White Cranston residents. And they were really <laughs> – Oh, my God. <laughs> they were trying to say the residents of White Cranston instead of <laughs> was White Was it actually Cran- Mr. White, Brian Cranston's? Uh-huh. Is that what's happening? What is – are you serious, people? <laughs> You know, we're all about marketing and yeah. advertising in this world. We know what's up. Like, yeah, <laughs> this reminds me of Eddie Murphy back in the day when he put on whiteface on yeah. <laughs> on Saturday Night Live. And yeah, were, and his, they were like, "Just take it." What are you doing? He's like, "What, what do you mean?" They're like, "Just take it, man. Why are you paying?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God! And I, how many? How can you say something like that and not know what you're saying? You know exactly yeah, it's a slip. Norman and I were talking about, there was a weatherman who, I guess, something happened on a Martin Luther King Boulevard, a shooting or something. And the weatherman said, well, you know, there's another shooting on Martin Luther King Boulevard. Oop, King. Oh, <laughs> you son of a biscuit. Oh. And the question that we were having was, can you have a Freudian slip? And, no. And, and, <laughs> no. Because it had to be in your mind. No. Yeah. Hell to the no. <laughs> Because we all know that's not a Freudian slip. Right. Yeah. And for those of us who are in the know, you were saying stuff like that earlier. Mm-hmm. And now your mouth is trying to repeat something that you said earlier during the day. Right. And you're forgetting where you are. Yeah. And I think that's why the whole concept of political correctness, you don't have to be political correct if your mind is already right. I don't have to stop myself from saying a racist thing, racial thing, if I'm not racist to begin with. You know what I mean? <laughs> This is how it is. Yeah. I was born and raised in San Francisco. All your all of your friends mm-hmm. are every different color. You have black friends, Indian, Russian, Chinese, everything. Yeah. If you were racist, you were like, hey, you're quit being fucking racist. <laughs> right. Like, are you talking about black people? Are you talking about Ben? Ben is my friend. Right. Right. Like, right. what are you talking about? Like, you... if they're your friends, the last thing you're going to want to do is hurt their feelings. Exactly. It comes from across home. the board. If you have empathy, like you were talking, you were talking Giancarlo about. Seeing, you know, the skateboarder, that's, that's, there are people who are empaths. They can feel what someone else is feeling. And it takes emotion. I don't know if it's a learned thing, if you learn from your mom or your dad or you just have it. My dad was super undercover racist, and I would call him out. I would be like, Dad, (laughs) what are you saying? And he'd be like, oh. And you just, you know, that, and that's the thing, though, with other, like with peers, yeah. the same thing, because they're coming from a place where they're, that's okay. Like, you come from your Russian household where it's okay to call other races right. these names? No, bro. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Not okay. Tell Babushka that that's right. not cool. Exactly. But you filter. You're an intelligent young being, you're being growing. You're in San Francisco. You're in yeah. the most forward place of the United States can be forward. Exactly. You're on exactly. The we're so opposite from... As like uh, I was, we were, I was stationed in Fort Stewart, Georgia, which is near Savannah, Georgia. Wow. I don't know if you guys know Savannah, Georgia. No, I've never been, but uh, I actually have a, a relative in De- uh, Decatur. Yeah, go ahead. In Decatur. Do, do you know Savannah, Georgia, yes. Lamont? <laughs> it's bizarro world, San Francisco. Hmm. It's the same, but it's different. Both port cities. One, hella old, had the plague. One, future forward. 
so many like LGBTQ, like everybody, you're accepted. You can walk out, you can walk around super naked, mm-hmm. smoke weed. It's, it's so crazy. There's so much, the racism, the black and white, you think black and white racism is not alive and well mm. in these times? No, it is alive and well. We are, as brown people, me and my wife, as Filipinos, <clears throat> mm-hmm. we felt we were like flies on the wall in these places. If there was black folks, black folks talking about white folks. If we were white folks, white folks talking about black folks. And they didn't care that we were there. Mm. They didn't care because we're other. We're wow. Vietnamese. We're Filipino. We're Chinese. We're, they didn't know what Filipino was. They yeah. Invisible, yeah. Well, this is a good time to get into an origin story. So let's talk about you. So you were born here in the Bay Area in San Francisco? Born and raised in San Francisco. All right. Siblings? I- uh, yep, I have uh, three siblings, one older brother, Jared, he's a firefighter, uh, younger brother, Justin Picholo, he works at USF, um, and my sister, the baby of the family, Jasmine, and so she works at um, Aquarium by the Bay. Oh, nice. The Bay, so. Are you the only art- art- artist? I mean, are you the one on stage? or? Yeah, you- I think so. So I think so. They're very much my number one supporters when it comes to everything in my life. You know how it right is. Right on. But I'm definitely the one to be doing the art i was always doing the painting the drawing the acting the always making people laugh that was mm-hmm. like my th- i always just i just love making people laugh You're great my right grandparents on. my cousins my uncles and so yeah that's me now did you do um <clears throat> theater like in high school i don't know if there was an arts class no or i actually thing. didn't i was i was still very brainwashed at that time I'm I'm very I'm trying at this point at mm-hmm. 44 years old in my life I'm trying to decolonize. <laughs> I'm I super you. trying to decolonize and it's, like and it's been happening. It's a work in progress with Bindlestiff, Nick Feliciano really helping me, Golda. Right they all, at the, the being a part of this community really helps me because dude, I was super brainwashed growing up. Like I really wanted to be white. Mm. I wanted to change my name to John, J O H N. Wow. I like was really but as I as I got older, I guess the more I got further in high school, I was like uh, I played football, like varsity JV mm-hmm. football, um, basketball. Started the boys volleyball league in uh, San Francisco. Yeah, we were like the mm-hmm. first one. So, doing regular athlete stuff, trying to be like, like eighties cool guy, eighties rom com movie cool yeah, guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like we tried to have also tried to do like a singing group, like Boys to Men or like Jodeci, <laughs> but Filipinos. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. It was a yeah. thing. We were trying. <laughs> well, there was Menudo, too. Wasn't Menudo? Yeah. We loved Menudo. Time? We were trying to be Menudo and New Kids on the Block. We were all, but our own. Yeah. Our own. Um, but yeah, born and raised in San Francisco um, at the Kaiser on Geary. Um, our first place that we lived was 43rd and Cabrillo in the Richmond District. Yeah. So um, I'm sure you've seen the Bay Area change so much. Yeah. A lot of people have come and gone. Um, the commu- The different people in the neighborhoods have changed so much. Um, we moved over to the Sunset District when I was like seven, mm. and so we've been there ever since. And so seeing the Sunset change from a pri- uh, like a dom- predominantly Russian, Irish, Chinese sort of neighborhood to a very much more mixed now, mm-hmm. um, like the new like um, sort of young professionals, techies are out there now. A lot of surfers, a lot of LGBTQ um, families. So Sunset District is the biggest district in San Francisco. Yeah. And so it's close to all of the different public transportation. We've got Ocean oh, yeah. Beach, great schools. And so yeah. it's, it's changed a lot. It's, it has. 
Um, yeah. It's funny you were talking about just the whole assimilation thing. I mean, you know, we're we're all men of color here, you know. <laughs> if those who don't know Lamont and I are black and Giancarlo, yeah, yeah, I'm Filipino. Filipino. Yeah. But um, it, I, I was wondering if I had to sort of this whole concept of decolonizing. I mean, I don't know if you had to deal with it. Um, I think you were telling me Michigan, right? You're from yes, Michigan. Michigan. Yeah, that's right. Because you said, uh, mm-hmm. th- is it central Michigan that you went to? Western Michigan. Western Michigan. Yeah. The the Mustangs. Who? Or the Buffalo. The uh, the no. It's a horse. It's a horse. <laughs> yeah. The Broncos. The Broncos. Oh, there you go. That's their football team in Kalamazoo. Yeah. Zoo, 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 zoo. But did you have to deal with finding your blackness or dealing with the whole? Like, we, like, I remember in remember when we were in rehearsal, we were talking about code switching. We were talking about it in the green room, oh, yeah. and that was a. Uh, I I guess I had been doing it without knowing that I was doing it. I mean, because my grandmother, I remember in Washington, D.C., my grandmother, you know, they all migrated from the deep south. They were sharecroppers, and they were strict to tell us kids, don't say ain't, don't say itn't, speak properly. Well, it's funny you should ask that, because yes, the, the, the short answer is yes. And one of the examples, when I did go to Western mm-hmm. Michigan, they started... What, what you would call a vocal jazz ensemble. Mm-hmm. And I was the only black singer in the vocal jazz ensemble. Mm-hmm. But then again, what does vocal jazz sound like? Yeah, so is, it who, the, is it the four freshmen or is it... Yeah, is it right. um, so who do you, who <laughs> take do you, six. Who do you emulate? And yeah. back then, take six hadn't... Been, oh. You know, they, they, they weren't a thing yet. Sure. So our, our emulators were basically... People like Manhattan Transfer. Yeah, that's why I said the four freshmen. freshmen. Yeah, and those types of groups. Mm. But even then, yeah. it was like you have to worry about balance and blend. So who do you sound like? Sure. What do you sound like? Yeah. So it became no one riffs. of those things where no riffs, but then you find you, you kind of find your identity in the realm of jazz when you start with scat singing sure so when you and when you sing your solos who do you sound like do you yeah. sound more like mel torme or do you sound like Elvis nat king gerald or nat king, <laughs> nat king cole? cole yeah mm-hmm. it's that type of thing sure so when people say you know representation matters yes it most certainly does yeah more so even <clears> how you it goes to the far as how you even sound yeah. and who you sound like. And even in the corporate world, I mean, I'll, we'll jump back to you, uh, but I remember uh, my parents, it was a time where we were in Washington, D.C., the nation's capital, so you could get federal jobs. But if you were black, it was harder. Uh, but in the 70s, black people were starting to come into those corporate jobs. And I remember my mom with her afro coming into a corporate job, dealing with you know her white boss, having to deal with, oh, my God, She's got hips and she's got <laughs> and she's dressed this way and she taught and my mom was not one to assimilate or to code yep. switch. She's gonna give it to you. If you like it or not. <laughs> I just remember it as an assimilation <clears throat> thing. Yeah. This is the broadcasting service of Western <laughs> Michigan University. Oh WMUK one oh two point one FM. Amazing. That's crazy. Yeah. So it wasn't about that I was a black student yeah. at Western Michigan. Yeah. It was the fact that WMUK was the NPR classical station. Yeah. So it wasn't about that, but I had to be an acceptable voice yeah. and not sound. Not sound. Interesting. Like in air quotes. Interesting. And Damn. that's what I did for yeah. almost six years. 
Yeah, I hear you. Jumping back to Eugene Carlo, I mean, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because you have a beautiful voice, and just talk like when you just have a beautiful voice. And Norman, to have to shift—I mean, it's a—it's a skill. It's a—it's a—it's a art. You become a—you become a mimic. You yeah, become, your ears are the yeah. most important thing. But the problem is, and I'll tell you what the problem is. I remember auditioning. It was here in San Francisco. They needed a black person, and they were like, "I'm sorry, Reg, we can't use you." Because you don't sound black enough. <laughs> yes. yes. I'm like, what? God. I'm not black enough. Yes. It's like oh the it's God. like the coding thing that you lose some of your blackness. You, you do when it you so get well. Degree. Yeah. You, you go to school and you get the degree, and then that costs. Yes. And what Fuck. some of it costs is your blackness. I remember. Um, I want to jump back to you, uh, Giancarlo, because we had Jed Presario on, and Jed Presario was in a production. It was at um, Shotgun Players. They did a thing called White, and he had to play a Philippine lover of, I think, a white guy, and he received a criticism that he wasn't Filipino enough because Which he wasn't crazy. acting. He wasn't acting like the stereotype. Uh, I, I don't even know what the Philippine stereotype is, uh. <laughs> but. Um, have you had to, I don't know, I mean, um, d- just deal with, uh, because I'm sure you, there are Philippines in your lives who are like, hey, we don't really care about this, you know, this, the white culture or the American culture. We're going to stick to with our culture. Oh, hell yeah. Um, and then there are those who are like, hey, you know, we want to do it the American way. It's all, it's the whole spectrum. Jed, first of all, is the most amazing He's, he's actor. an amazing actor. I've learned so much from him. I've been in his workshops. Um, and so to be able to, I've wor- I got the chance to work with him over uh, during COVID and quarantine too, just on Zoom. But I really want to get in and work. He's one of the the ones you want to you want to work with at the stiff you know like yeah when there's something it's like oh jed's in it please <laughs> you know like the one with this one like nick golda or like yes yeah, please. Yeah, yeah, i say yeah. yes to pretty much everything for mm-hmm. sure but um for me that's what i was like getting back to what i was talking about earlier about being hella brainwashed like being coming to the stiff and um talking getting to know everybody oh. um and really like i would Early on in my time at the Stiff, I would still I would make these comments that were so just out of pocket. <laughs> like read the room, bro. Like read the room, dog. And you're just like you know I'm just trying well, to. I'm be, just being real. I'm right? just trying to be funny and to be and being and so some people are like oh my god and some people are like oh my god and some people are like oh my god like, you know <laughs> and so for. Um, for Jed, Jed's way more Filipino than I am too. Jed is like seriously, like, and to be to get that criticism. I mean, first of all, Shotgun Players is um, uh, it's a great place for theater and everything, but it is super white when it comes to who's running it. Oh, interesting. Directing. Yeah. This is feedback from someone who also was in that same production. Not oh, Jed. Oh, and so okay. Someone yeah. that we know, but I'm not gonna. I don't yeah, want to put it on the Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. But <laughs> she was just like, oh my god. She she was supposed to kiss this guy who was supposed to be Filipino, but he was actually white, playing an Asian guy. What? And like, could you not cast? There are tons out of, of the Philippines. Stick? And so for Jed to get that comment <clears throat> that he's not acting Filipino enough is a direct slap in the face of all Filipinos. It's ridiculous because what he is Filipino. How is he not enough as what he's bringing to you? You need him to do the accent. 
you need him to do that because that's not Philip. That's caricature, caricature. That's exactly. That's, those are stereotypical things. A lot of what, like in this last production that we brought, um, that we that, that we did um, in Idalisai's uh, world famous Lechon at Bindlestiff, written yeah. by Ali Saria and directed by Arreen Almario. That's and, right. Um, a lot of the things I brought to uh, Senior Cheap as a character could be considered that quote unquote. That's the Filipino we're looking for, with the P's for the Eps and the always the the long pause because we're always thinking and this um <clears throat> this really like up and down when it comes to the vibe. There's because that, but the thing is, is that that's that's real. Those are like real people. That that's everything right. that I brought to that <clears throat> is all my uncles and titos and the and the right. previous. Lolo's before me. That That's was right. a, they all came into me in the spirit, and, and I it drives that. me crazy because it's not you're not you're not as ace a stereotype, and you're not being less than. If anything, the 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 phrase that they overuse all the time, mm -hmm. but it's true. You're being authentically you, right? Because that's in your <clears throat> DNA, yeah. And it's and in it, the piece, and it drives me yeah. crazy when people mm -hmm. say, "Fill in the blank." You're not being enough of this thing. It's like, right. Well, what the hell would you know about that? Right, yeah. because yeah. they have in their minds, and who knows? Let's blame television. Let's blame what we see on TV. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, this is the stereotype. This is what Philippine people are. This is how black people are. <laughs> this is how I don't know Chinese people are. So you got to fill in that, you know, the director has that in their mind, and that's what they cast you for, instead of really allowing us right. to say, hey, let me tell you Because when what this we're is. being authentic, mm -hmm. we will fill that void with just about anything that our culture has given us up to that point in our lives. Yeah. Like you said, you were an amalgam of your uncles and everything. So yeah. which uncle... Which was, uncle would was, you like? And I'll tell you, Giancarlo, it was such a rich character. I mean, you, I just loved seeing you on stage and, and acting with you. And the audience felt that. I mean, even when you were not because – so the first half, just to spoilers, you know, you're in the first half. <laughs> Second half, you're gone. You're dead. But you're still there. And we still – and, you know, and, and you know, Golda's character, who is your, your daughter, is, you know, imitating, emulating you. But she does it not just for a laugh, but she does it because she feels you in her. <laughs> Yeah. You know, when she hugs that lech on, when she pulls it out of the freezer yeah, and that, says, I love you, Dad. That Ollie is an amazing guy. Ollie Sario. Ollie Sario wrote a wonderful piece. Yeah, he's our managing director at Bindlestiff, and he's, like, one of my, like, biggest. I'm, like, these guys, these people, Irene, Darius, Ollie, Dave, they're all, I, I, I look at them, I hold them so high in my mind in mm -hmm. terms of art and creation. I look up to them so much. And um, Ollie's... He's done stand-up, he's written, he's directed, he's done everything. And so this is like a culmination of his like powers. And so having the comedy and having the pull of the loss and the balance of it all and how it all balances out in the end yeah. and comes to this wonderful thing. That was one of the um, comments that Chuck Laksan, uh one of I our know. close friends, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I both love Chuck and love Chuck. Yeah. Chuck came up afterwards and he was like, dude, you know how I know you killed it? Is because when you were gone in that second half, I fucking cried, man. Wow. I was like, yeah. no, no. And you just feel through yeah. the whole second yeah. half that yeah. you're, even though you're, you're not still there, there, you're there. And that, mm -hmm. and so for the layering and like pulling together, of, that's my art is like pulling. I always like to think that I have like this bag or this like 
file. Now it's digital. It used mm. to be a bag, like a sack <laughs> sure. of experiences and people and characters that I've met throughout my whole life. That's right. Everybody, yeah. everybody. And so for this one, to pull the file out, to pull that out for um, my Uncle Doming, who was a, a huge influence for this, passed away. He was my Ninong, my, one of my godfathers. He was an army soldier, too. Um, and so him, my papa, my grandfather, who was in uh, the picture, my uh, oh in, yes right you play. brought the, yeah so nice. they actually got to uh, posthumously star in theater with us very cool so Papa um, my dad my mom even said was just like oh my God you sound like Papa like his, her mom her dad right like, oh my God and so people were like I, I didn't know were Patrick Silvestre yeah like, dude you brought my dad back wow that's like, awesome that's crazy I got that so and many I know times Patrick. Too. Yeah. yeah. As a matter of fact, the very first um, stories high I did, I did his play. Oh, I was Charlie Mingus. I mean, and because that's part of the DNA. That's that DNA is in you. Yes. So, and it's one of the. It's actually one of my fears that I hope I don't have to deal with. When you bring back your people, and you bring them back because you remember how they sounded. Yep. You remember their voice. You yep. remember their mannerisms. Yep. You remember the things that made them them. Mm-hmm. Because it's the first thing you miss when they're gone. Yeah. And the thing you take for granted when they're around. You're like, oh, yeah, you know, they're there. And then all of a sudden they're gone and you still remember them. I still I still have a picture of my grandmother. You know, I have it on my phone. And, you know, she... I still remember her. I remember, you know, holding how strong her hands were, even when the rest of her body wasn't. Um and, you know, these things. So, you know, when you have a theater piece where you can bring all that back, that's why so many people connected to us in your trip. And it's great writing, but it's great acting, too. Thank you. Yeah. The, to bring it back to um, the stereotypes and having to sort of do that, like it was decisions, like I for sure made those choices, too. I, I don't look at them as stereotypes. I don't look at them as not being right. the Critics can be critics and let them be critics. Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't, we, we sure, we hear it and we see it, but... Yeah. When you think about who's doing the criticism, it's like, eh, yeah. that's what you're going to say. And the stereotypes <laughs> are, you know, when people talk about stereotypes, they talk about something that they don't know. It's like, yeah. you know, like they don't know that that's, that's your DNA. father. That's, uh, they that's just, how they we just, talk. A, yeah, that's yeah. who we are. That's, who, that's how they talk. And so for in the beginning, um, yeah. for me being super American, which is another thing, being raised, born and raised here, and being at the stiff and finding my culture, my Filipino side, because my parents, they raised us. To assimilate, you will assimilate. You will Sesame you. Street. You will. You there's no Tagalog at home. Mm, you will blend in. You don't want to sound like me because you will not blend in, and they will make fun of you. I've, I've always thought it was the opposite. I've always thought that parents would be afraid. Oh my God, he's going to become Americanized. He's not going to remember what it is to be Filipino or whatever same it is. Thing. It's, it's generational, but it's yeah. also on the divide in the Philippines. Yeah, sure. Because we get the same thing as being, you know, being black. It's well, of like, course. Well, hey, you, you need to go out into the corporate world. Watch you know the way you talk. Watch the way you do. Or this. don't act black. Right. Don't do that. As this black is bad. Yes. <laughs> Acting black is bad. Yeah. Yeah. And the and. And the terrible stereotypicals. Are, uh, are we being an Oreo today? Yeah, right. Yeah. So I feel that all the time. Right? And it's, so it depends on where you are and how deep your DNA flows. And mm-hmm. as you said, how deep is the assimilation where it doesn't impact how you react with your own kind? Exactly. It's like, there, this is who I am. And there's a whole generation of black, Filipino, even Asian, Latinos children of a new generation who are so blended with other cultures because they're their friends that all of a sudden, you know, what does it mean to act 
black or Jewish yeah. or Italian. Yeah, yeah. It's all blended in. Yeah. I have cousins and nieces and nephews of a younger generation who are very intelligent. They're always online and they connect with so many different cultures that you can't really tell just by listening or whatever. But sometimes I fear for them as well because they get teased just as much because of that. Mm. Mm. Yeah. You're black, yeah. so you don't sound black. Yeah. Or you don't look black. Oh, it's your hair. It's like, don't touch my hair. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. <laughs> so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's the yin and yang, the, the, the pull, sure. depending on who you are. And again, what, what is, what's your DNA? Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I want to, what brought you into the Army? Uh, why, why'd, you, why'd, you, why'd you enlist? Oh, boy, that's a crazy story. <laughs> so, um, 99, 2003. So, 2001, 9 11 happens. Oh, um, yeah. During this time, um, 99 to 2002, I'm acting at City College, doing a bunch of theater, studi- studying under Susan Jackson, John Wilk, uh, Deborah Shaw, Gloria Weinstock. Wow. Just taking all the, every single theater, Don Caton theater production, every single theater class, um, David Parr theater, like his theater mm-hmm. history, everything. Just everything. Give me all theater, give me all acting, give me everything. Everything, everything, getting like from character development, scene study, advanced, and so. Um, but at also on that's what I'm doing during the daytime, is acting at City College. But during the nighttime, I'm going to raves and selling ecstasy and coke and like mm. like whippets, everything, any acid, shroom, everything, weed. Um, so big raves at this time, like Oakland, San Francisco, like Maritime Hall. Um, home base and, and just going to all the it's just the culture for that I was in that I just I've always been hustling and I was really like theater was my art to maybe get out of that and so hustling like being up all night partying and so 9-11 happens I got home my older brother Jared's like dude someone flew some planes into the Twin Towers and like I had been doing like coke all night with my homies and mm-hmm. I just got home at like seven in the morning. I was literally getting into my room and into bed. And then I sat up and just watched it all day long and just, just watched these, the first plane and then the second plane and just my mind was just blown and warped. And so that happened in 2001. Mm-hmm. I continue on studying and acting and doing this hustle crazy life. Um, 2002, I'm pro- I was doing, in 2002 I, pro- I had 12 roles on stage doing crazy stuff at City, had the Diego Rivera. Um, and I just woke up one day and it was a very clear voice. Uh, so during this time, like I was raised Catholic. Mm-hmm. My dad, 18 years, crazy Catholic. When I was 18, he was like, you guys, I did my job, you're 18, you don't have to go to church anymore, you do your whatever you want. I went the other way with it. I didn't go, <laughs> I losing my religion, like lost my religion. And so um, at City in a philosophy class, we studied, the existence of God. Mm. Francis of Sisi, like there's so many different, like we theology, we studied theology at City College. The exi- and I, it fur- fully reaffirmed my faith and my belief in my own way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In my, it, it's uh, based in the Catholic religion, but my own relationship with God and the existence of God. And it just changed my whole life. It literally turned everything around for me because going from a, a place during that time between 18 and 20 before I found, before I like woke up, I was like, it was a very dark time, you know? I was very thugging and, yeah. When you made the choice, was it a sense of, was this, was that part of the assimilation part of it? 
because at that point then do you become this is going to sound weird but do you become then white to go fight for your country no or, at this you, at this point did you keep your own identity as a filipino no at, the, at this point the assimilation is so deep that mm -hmm. it's just not it's not mm -hmm. about white it's about you're i'm american and this is who i am okay but for me like okay so growing up all of like my i was saying my uncles and my grandpa and everybody were veterans army veterans my dad mm -hmm. both of my grandpas were army veterans all like all of my uncles on my mom's side my the eldest uncle big was air force second eldest wow. uncle jiggy was special so forces following wow. that no but so the whole okay. my whole life they'd be like yeah. hey you got to go to the army i go i'm like fuck no <laughs> <laughs> are you i'm a fucking hippie kid from san francisco california i'm going to raves i'm making buku dollars wearing the flyest shit living a great life what do you mean go to the army armies for people who can't make it out here i'm making it out here and so, but the, at this time, like what happened in 2000, in 2002, the year that I enlisted, I had just been on this whole path of acting and, and theater and trying to be the best person that I could be from that, from that point on, knowing mm -hmm. that like, you know what, I need to work on being good. I got a lot of making up to do. Like I got to start <laughs> doing good in my life, yeah. you know, because, um, and so I started, I was going down that path. It was like this really like crazy thing you hear about once you get in the army is like a go to war or go to jail kind of path like yeah. that's one of the things yeah. the cadence is when you're jogging my dad yeah well that's almost the same path that we were threatened with yeah it's like go to jail go to jail or yeah die. i'll tell this quick story and i've told it before but um, i was born in 69 but in 67 my dad and of course this is the six hippies you know whatever I don't, I don't know how many black hippies there were my dad was really on that tip but he was hustling he was hustling he was uh, and hustling back then was you know just selling weed and he was part of a gang and so a cop stopped him and his buddy had a sawed off shotgun <laughs> it's like you know let me see your registration whoa there's a <laughs> blow shot off I'm, if it happened now he'd be dead but in any case the judge says listen you can do four years in the army or two years straight in jail nice so he took the army and I imagine that's what the criminal justice system was doing that's how you pull up yeah. about a poor kids black brown whatever and get them because you know Vietnam that's what Lyndon B. Johnson and also Nixon won. It's like, let's get as many people on and we out there as know, possible. Historically, yeah. that's what happened to black people. It was yep. black males. Yep. yep. Like you got your yeah. choice. But Jail it did turn my dad around when he, he got, he got you know, um, he learned an occupation. He um, came out, at, you know, because he and my, my, his father, my granddad, were just at odds with each other. He was the youngest. He was the youngest of uh, eight kids. And, but he came out, and my granddad started having respect for him. It's like, wow. You know, you're, well, you're a man now. Home. Yeah. Yeah. But go, go ahead. For Jim, me, like, um, uh, coming through, like, I'm, I'm definitely on that same page with your dad. Like, there's so I've changed so much. I'm still myself, but a much improved and sharper version of myself that once I'm through it. I wasn't super, I wasn't brainwashed when it came into that. I went there with a full, yeah. fully clear, I was a fully formed adult at the point that I went in. So you didn't become a Rambo or, you know, a lot of these guys, they go into the army, all of a sudden they become, I don't know, this no, no. like macho, macho. Oh, so let me, okay, so then uh, yeah. 2002 happens and um, I'm trying to do good in my life and I wake up one morning and it's like this very clear voice was just like, hey buddy, it's me, God. <laughs> so, um, I've got, got you through a bunch of stuff. You lived a, you've been living a great life, <coughs> San Francisco, 
going to your parties, selling your things, doing acting. Um, got you through a couple of hairy situations, right? Right? I was there, right? I don't uh, So I need you to do something for me. I need you to go and make sure these young guys come home. There's a war going on, and not everybody can go. And I know that you can. You have it in you to go and help make sure these young guys come home. And that was it. And mm. so then it was very, I was like, what the fuck was that? Mm. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <clears throat> you know? And so you're like, at that time too, I was going to head down and like, I was going to sell like four pounds of weed down in San Bruno somewhere. And so I had just been like on, it was this thing. And so um, instead of doing that, I went to the recruiting office um, at Stonestown and I walked in and um, I was like, hey, I want to join the army. And there was a Filipino staff sergeant there, Sergeant Ma Staff Sergeant Mendoza, uh, super Filipino by any stereotypical <laughs> mm -hmm. idea you have. He's like, oh, you Filipino? <laughs> yes. You speak Tagalog? My answer for every time is no. <laughs> oh, sorry. My mom and dad raised me here and they didn't teach us Tagalog. Oh, why didn't you teach you Tagalog? Uh, because they wanted us to assimilate. Oh, good for you. <laughs> okay, what do you... And so then it's like, yeah, I want to um, join the army. Uh, okay, you got to take this test called the ASVAB. It's like a overall test to get in. And you scored. Based on your score, you can place in whatever job you want. And so I scored super high. It was something stupid. Well, of course you did. One <laughs> it's ridiculous. I'm like, yes. It was like, I had all these math and equations and jack rap. And it was fucking, like, you know, it was, scored super high. And they were... Um, I was, they were like, okay, what job you want to do? You scored super high. You can do whatever you want. And I was like, um, I want to be a medic. And they were like, um, my dad was a medic. Yeah. And they, they were like, we, why do you want to be a medic? You can be in psyops. You can go to officer candidate school. You're in college. You can be, you can go to sniper school. You can do all these. They, they don't. I'm like, no, I just want to be a medic. And they were like, it's not even a medic anymore. It's a healthcare specialist. <laughs> and I was like, is that the dude? that goes out when dudes get shot, patches them up, and then brings them back. And they're like, yeah. And I was like, then that's what I want to do. Exactly. That's what you And they're like, well, you scored way too high for that, but okay, I mean, yeah, we'll give you like yeah. a $3,000 bonus for your two years of college. And I was like, cool. Oh, I have one request. Can I go to the toughest basic training that you have? Because if I'm going to war, I don't want to be like, mm -hmm. <laughs> And so they said, like, yeah, we're going to send you to Fort Benning, Georgia, home of the Rangers. I was like, perfect. So I had like six months of... Um, What's called MEPS. You like it's an early program where you go in and you train. You go to the recruiting station every like you know twice a week to go run and train. And I was smoking hella weed, and I, <laughs> of course. And so every time he'd be like, "Okay, you have to." And then so he, the first Sergeant Mendoza was like, uh, "You have to take your analysis before." And I'm like, "Sergeant, I'm not gonna pass your analysis." And he's like, "What do you mean?" I'm like, "I will melt that cup." <laughs> with my urine I have so he's like oh I didn't know you can get weed in the, in the army I mean. oh big time oh we smoked weed in the army big time that's, uh, okay. that's a story for another time okay but, never mind but okay so then um, he's like oh you need to stop and I'm like okay he's like you have to stop before you leave okay you have to be your nose has to be clean before you leave and I'm like okay I got six months I'll be fine staff sergeant I'll be fine we're running right not one time during that six months did I ever pass your analysis hmm. to the day that I was leaving. You have to take one the day you're leaving. Hmm. You're going to San Jose to go to the hotel, which is going to take you to the bus, which is going to the airport. And you have to take your analysis 
before you leave in the morning. I had to take one before I left the the, the recruiter mm-hmm. station, and I'm, and he's like, Giancarlo, what's the matter? What happened? How come you're not? I thought you quit. <laughs> what can I say? What can I say? Staff Sergeant, I'm leaving for war. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I want to get high. And so he's like, oh, he's like, okay, here. he's like, okay. So then the commander, the station commander comes over, who's a uh-huh. white man, who's like a captain, Yeah. comes over, and he's just like, all right, hang out here for a little bit. He's a tall, skinny, young white man. All right, hang out. I'll be right back. He leaves 20 minutes. I'm there, and I'm just like, okay, so what's going to happen? Comes back with this drink, and he's like, all right, here you go. Give me the drink. <laughs> I'm like looking at it. It's like a cleanse drink, right? And so he leaves. I'm like, thank you, sir. He's like, all right, have a good deployment. I'll see you later. He goes... And Staff Sergeant Mendoza, I'm like, and he's like, okay, tomorrow morning, you drink this one, okay? You take a pee first before you live, and then you don't pee again. And you just drink water, okay? Then you go to do your te- your MEPS test, okay? <laughs> All right. <laughs> and so I get more, you go to this hotel, say bye to my mom and dad that afternoon. I have this drink <laughs> in my fucking bag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to this hotel in San Jose that's getting rid of the bus to the airport. So I'm hanging out. The dude running it is an older black man, and he's just like, "Don't none of y'all be taking on sipping on that tussin now. <laughs> Don't be sipping on that tussin. Ah, y'all ain't the first ones to be around here." <laughs> I'm like, "Tussin." He's like, "You know they're gonna get you. Don't get busted. Don't be bringing none of that tussin around here." <laughs> we got oh. weed and all this, and so I sleep there. The next morning, I'm like, "All right, drink this drink." Go take my pee at my hotel room, you know, and then I'm drinking more water. Fill the thing up with water, he said, and then drink that water as mm. you're going. But don't pee again, you know, before you leave because it's going to be the drink. You got to do that one pee. So you get there, you do your pee, and I fucking guess I passed, obviously, <laughs> right? Because they didn't yeah. turn that shit back. Right. Peace you out. you did what you were told. Yep. Smoked weed every day until I left. So it gets sent. So this is crazy. We get like... We all get grouped in. There's people from all over NorCal, like people from Fresno, and like mm, there's mm. all Mexican white, all of us, and we're there and we're going and we're sort of all like nervous. We get on this bus, we get on this plane, we're in fucking Georgia at butt crack of dawn, and you're getting on this bus, and then the yelling starts happening. Move it! Get your ass off that bus! Get, get your, over get it! Your get your ass off that goddamn bus! Get, get your shit! And there's people who are lost, jumping out, what? Waking up, the shit's everywhere. <laughs> Little did they know, I have a secret fucking weapon in my back pocket. I had a Filipino dad who yelled at me just to say hello, let alone yelled at me for the bad shit. So you're yelling, drill sergeant? Is nothing compared to what I've been through. Mm, so I'm just on. walking through there. I'm like full. At this point, I'm, I think I enlisted when I was 25. And so I'm a fully formed adult at this point. Sort yeah. of, sort of. You know, you're probably I, the oldest person. Well, one. No, of there was some 30s. There okay. was some 36. Kent Ross Canyon <clears throat> was older, 36. Mm. Well, but you were also experienced. You were also had this expectation because of your uncles. So a lot of this, you're already you're prepared. You're mentally prepared. Ever since I was a little kid, they trained me to be a soldier. Yeah. Ever since camping. When you're a kid in my family, you go camping with my Uncle Jiggy, who was the Special Forces. He was a demolition expert. Mm. Uh, you get a knife. Depending on your age, is the size of your knife. When you're little, you get the little knife. When you're older, you get the bigger knife, bigger knife. And so you always look forward to getting the bigger mm-hmm. knife. And so my whole life. And so then little do I know. I get to, I get to basic training. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like f- flying yeah, through like it. Bring it. 
Man, let's I'm do here. this. Let's run. Let's do push-ups. I was also the best rehab you can ever imagine for yourself. No cigarettes, no drinks, no coke, no weed, no nothing. You're just water and fucking exercise and drilling. And so it was the best. There were guys that were like fiending for like their dip or a cigarette. There was a kid who was trying to get people to buy on the PX in basic where you can't have none of that shit. Standing outside the PX hmm. being asking star- sergeants coming to <clears throat> pack smokes. They're like, what the fuck? What the fuck? Getting busted multiple times, different people. It's like, hey, what do you guys you need? That addiction is so. But for me, I was really looking forward to. It. I looked. Um, you had a battle buddy. I get Sean Caruso, this white guy, and so that was my whole thing throughout this. I realized that I was obviously sent there to help my battle buddy at whatever place yeah. make it through. Sean, did, did you go overseas? I did. Went to Iraq in 05. Wow. Yeah. 05, 06. It was crazy. Yeah, and so. Um, Basic training was nuts. You know, you go through all the different things. I had Caruso. Caruso was a big, doofy white guy from SoCal. And you're basically dragging along a white version of Bubba Gump. He's like, shrimp cocktail. Shrimp. I'm like, Caruso, our fucking platoon sergeant, you have to be accountable for all your shit. Hats, socks, everything. Yeah. Caruso lost his hat one day. Oh, goodness. Your name's in everything. And we had this fucking guy, this guy who had been through Recycled, who became our platoon sergeant, this Latino guy, I forget what the fuck mm. his name is. He had lost his hat, and all of a sudden he had a hat, and he had the name part ripped out. Mm. And I was like, motherfucker. So I had to go and dip him in the bathroom, get his hat back, yeah. fucking for my boy Caruso. Got Caruso, so we all made it through basic. It was yeah. crazy. Basic training was crazy. Everything you could think of. You get, so then after basic, you go to AIT, or Advanced Individual Training, which is medic school for us, which was San Antonio, Texas, mm-hmm. which is one of the great Was that Bear County? I mean, at Fort Sam Houston? Fort Sam Houston. Yeah, my dad was there, yeah. Yep. So what, <laughs> getting back to Caruso, did he appreciate getting his hat back? Or <laughs> Fuck yeah, Caruso appreciated me for every bit of everything. Those times where he, <clears throat> as me as a person, like having to deal with me as a person, let alone a battle buddy, like I'm going to get you through it, dog. We're going to get through this together. Especially if my ass is on getting mm-hmm. you through right. it, yeah. we're gonna do it, and I'm gonna work with you though. You know, I just thought about this, Senior Chief. He served in the Navy, he was in the and Navy. and so that was something that you could bring to. Uncle Eddie was in the Navy. Shout out to Uncle Eddie and his sons, and I think EJ is in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. I have a bunch of nephews that are like Air Force, Navy, um, younger guys too. So that yeah, through. so they're doing really great. One of my cousins is working at Boeing now. My cousin Tom's son Kyle. So he went from Air Force to Boeing, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, medic, uh, medic school, Fort Sam was great. It was crazy because then also it was all of a sudden co-ed. And so there were like ladies there and it was dudes. And you also had some freedom where you can leave post. You're in class 13 hours a day. Study. You, have to pay, uh, you have to pass the national registry for EMT. Mm-hmm. You become an EMTB. Yeah. And so people get recycled if you don't, if you don't pass <clears> the testing. <throat> so my battle buddy, I go to that one, Juan Cardenas, who's like one of my best friends to this day. Huge King Kong of a Mexican man, huge glasses. <laughs> okay. Great, all his PT gray sweatsuits. Yeah. He's just sitting there, kind of like you know, losing his hair. Like, I can see yeah. how you can get all these characters. He's got this kind of like skin condition going on, you know, like yeah. alopecia. Like, and he's fucking looking at me, and I'm like, "What's up, man?" And he's like, "What's up?" And I'm like, "I'm your battle buddy." And he's like, "Oh," and I'm like, "I'm John Carlo, I'm Cariola." If you want, and he's just like, "I'm Juan Cardenas." And so we, Wani had been recycled. Mm-hmm. He didn't make weight. He didn't make testing. He just was not, he had the passion to be a medic, but he just couldn't do it. He's from fucking Brownsville, Texas. 
Mm-hmm. South Padre Island was something he always talked about. And so, big guy, great, huge heart, a blue of a man. Um, so I was like, all right, there's my next one, huh? It's like, I got, we're going to do it, buddy. I got you. You know, we're going to make it through this. We're going to study. We're going to work hard. And we're going to get out of here. Nice. And so we did that. Wani, we, Wani graduated, made it through MTB. We did, it wasn't just me, though. It was like a bunch of us that were all like group. So like there was some of us that went from basic to AIT. And some, like other people from basic went to sniper school. Like they were like uh, Camo or S2 office. But so, like there was a bunch of medics that went. And so we're all together. And so that we all had that bond. Um, Juan wasn't one of those. Juan went to a basic where there was, um, it was co-ed. And so when you kind of were at a co-ed basic, it kind of was a little bit softer in terms of things because they couldn't, the drill sergeants couldn't smoke you as hard because there were females, females there. Yeah. yeah. And as much as they, it, and it was just different. You can tell soldiers who And had I guess been, you've been through it already with, in, in North Carolina, so. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, and so, um, AIT works crazy. You're doing all kinds of medical things, which that's one of the great things, being able to learn that skill and to go to war and then to apply it. Yeah. And so a bunch of us went from AIT, from basic to AIT, to our duty station at Fort Stewart, Georgia. And so Wani was one of those folks, like all of us were all stationed at Fort mm-hmm. Stewart, Georgia. And so we all had, like, we're all living out there. This is before war. Um, and we're all just getting into our duty station, into our jobs at the aid station, working on post, getting ready to deploy. And so um, during that time, there was no drug test. They weren't pissed in anybody. You're all going to war. It doesn't matter if you have one yeah. leg. If you have no legs, you know, it's you're funny. going to war. <laughs> you know, 2000, you're going. Everybody's I, I'm going. going back 2003. Well, that was a very interesting time. I, mean, I remember doing a couple of theater productions where we were protesting George W. Bush yeah. and the Iraq war because we thought it was an unjust war and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But I imagine being in the army, you had to be worried, oh my God, this is not like being in basic training in, I don't know, 2000, 1994 yeah, no. or in peacetime. This is a war. The, you're a war about to go to Iraq. I was yeah. going to say, sometimes, what was the reality of your situation when you knew school is over and now everything becomes real? There was... Um, there was sort of, there was a couple things. There was a breath of fresh air as the sort of like that we're now, we're, we're soldiers and we're working now. And this is what we do. We're trained. We're here to do a job. Mm-hmm. And this is like, it's life. It's a fucking, it's a movie. It's weird because I'm from San Francisco and I'm all of a sudden in Hinesville, Georgia. And it's just like on an army base. And from the, my wildest imagination could not have like brought me to everything that I would end up at that place. And so you're, you know, you're a regular, it's almost like college. You're exploring, um, Exploring the towns, you're going out and drinking, you're shooting pool, your homies are all, you're, you're in regular clothes, you're not in uniform anymore, you come to work like every day, you go, yeah. you hear taps, six in the morning every fucking Monday through Friday. What was it like going overseas though? So then you're getting ready to deploy, as you're going, even I guess every step along the way from basic to AIT to my duty station, I personally was always talking to my superiors about killing, about um, like how as a religious person do I validate killing. That yeah. was like, I talked to the, my ba- drill yeah. sergeants, which is a great thing, like that experience that I got to have to actually talk to them in their office and sit down outside of yelling at us and trying to do, they take their hat off and they're like, there's very religious people in, in, in the army. There's some that are evangelists, that are yeah. Baptists, yeah. that are born again, that are um, all kinds, Buddhist anything, Taoism, there's all kinds of different reliefs that, uh, Muslim, Christian, like hardcore yeah. Christian, Catholics, and so, everybody, there's a bunch of different, you can, from six different 
drill sergeants, you'll have six different religions and they'll all give you their opinion on what it is and it all came back to, for if you're a religious person, you pray on it and you find out what your answer is going to be on it. Mm -hmm. And so you pray on it. And so that's what they were, that's what all everybody said. You put, you talk, you take that quiet time and you talk to your mm -hmm. creator, your whoever you talk to and you ask that question and you find out what that answer mm -hmm. is. Yeah. And so when I asked that question and it came back for me, it was like, um, again, a very clear voice. If I put you in a situation where you're going to be having to make a decision whether or not to take a life or not, you will be very prepared for that. You will be in a situation where you will be protecting yourself or protecting your fellow soldiers yeah. or protecting some innocence. Yeah. If you're in that situation, you will be prepared. And so yeah. that was that. That's what my piece came to it. Is that yeah. like I'm gonna be the I'm gonna be I'm gonna train hard. I'm gonna shoot. I'm gonna shoot well. I'm yeah. gonna be the best shooter. I'm gonna be the best medic. I'm gonna be the best everything because that's what yeah. I was there to do. I wasn't there to half ass. And God was the one who sent you. I mean, you know, according to you know, yeah. I was powered. I got the tattooed on my shoulder. And then the other part of that is, you know, whether whether it became obvious or not, is your family's expecting you to come home. One hundred percent. Everybody is. That, You're expected it's such to a come home. Yeah. yeah, being away and the stress for me being away for them back here. I'm like something happening to my dad where I couldn't be there. I'm like sure. a bazillion, and so that was a big stress for me when I was over there. I'm sure I stressed them out when I was yeah. when they were here. Now here's a, here's a question for you. Um, when you came back, were you changed? Did your family say, "Wow, you're a different person"? Yeah, one hundred percent. One hundred percent. There's um, like Uncle Doming, who I based a lot of senior cheap on. Mm -hmm. um, pre-army, pre-service was just my so this is 25 years uh, before I enlisted my whole life was always my him and uh, my auntie Barb were my ninong and ninong my godparents Yeah. every year I count on birthday cards <clears throat> every year I count on Christmas every year I count on they were sort of the um, the the hardcore, the tough ones my dad was the youngest in the family and mm. auntie Barb was the eldest and so they were the, she was the one, she did not take shit. They came from the Philippines, they were immigrants, they did nothing. Mm. The Fuentes family, on that side, my Fuentes side, are the tough motherfuckers. That's where Kyle and Thomas, they're on that, my Kuya Thomas, so those are like, Auntie Barb, you don't mess with them. Like their children, all of the Fuentes kids, they do, you do not fuck around with their parents. Their parents, like they are, even as a, even as a non of their child, you will get the wrath from Auntie <laughs> Barb. Uncle Doming was very much more a silent killer, you know what I'm saying? Uncle, mm -hmm. Uncle Doming was, I didn't, up to 25, yeah. I just saw him as like, that's You weren't of the generation to, to get the belt. I mean, oh, you fuck and yeah. I, I got, got the belt. I got the fucking bath, <laughs> the bath hose. I got the slipper. I got, right. I got the punishment. My dad would get, you're on your knees on pencils or on rice Ooh. in front of the altar with Bibles. Oh, God. My Kuya told me a story recently. He had, there would be six of them in there on their knees with Bibles, with books in their hands. Wow. From punishment. And so, like, for, for, um, for my, I don't know, when I came back, uh, Uncle Doming was, he went from this car this guy who was always like, my Nina, hi, Uncle Doming. He always, I fell under their umbrella protection. So even though they were mean to anybody else, mm -hmm. because I was their, their apo or their godchild, they would, um, oh, gee, oh, come here, you. you. Yeah. <laughs> Uncle Doming's nice. always giving me 20s, you know. I was oh, just hey, like, hey. and I would, I would take yeah, advantage really, of that. I'd be like, right? yep. Like that's, I'm, with, I'm with Auntie Barb. You guys are all, yeah. uh huh. And so when I got back from war, Uncle Doming opened up like a fucking portal, like a flower. It was like, gee, so how, how is it out there? Huh? 
you guys still uh, do the training, the cadence? Yeah. Oh. And he would, so many stories came from that. No. Before he, the time, yeah, from the time I got back, from the time he passed away, every time I would see him, he'd be, oh, come here, have a beer. Hey, this is G. He yeah, went to war. Yeah, yeah, Everybody, yeah. Every, all of my uncles, Respect. all of my veteran uncles, because I was like the first of the young ones to go. And I wasn't really like a young one, but I was the one who was supposed to go. Like my brothers, my older brother, my younger brother, my, my friend, they wouldn't necessarily have made it through war. Mm, I hear It's you. a thing. Yeah. yeah. It's a thing. You got to be built for you it. You got to have a... And like I said, you came home. Yeah. Because yeah. there was also that percentage that didn't come home. Yeah. Or the percentage that yeah. came home, but they, but they weren't right. Yeah. Yeah. They were for the worse. Huge. Yeah. So... Huge. I'm a, I'm a 100% huge success story when it comes to coming back from this as much as it is i own we own our home that i grew up in i used our va we used the va loan to buy the right home on. that i grew right up on. in in the sunset district yeah me and my wife it wasn't always easy like we struggled coming back because when i got back i was very anti-army and anti-everything like when it came to anything to do with the service mm-hmm. i got back it just i had a really terrible experience coming back from deployment it was nuts yeah. We switched out. Well, there were a lot of crazy things. Like Jessica Lynch, I remember she was the woman who, um, there was a lot of propaganda from the Bush administration. Also, who's the uh, the football player? Um, oh, shucks. He, he oh, played. Pat Tillman. Pat Tillman. Pat Tillman. The yeah. Pat Tillman thing. There was the Sheehan. Um, there was a, a guy who died in. Maurice Sheehan, uh, I remember his last his name mom, was Sheehan. Yeah, yeah, his yeah, his mom was protesting because she wasn't getting the right story from the, the army. Jessica Lynch was supposedly uh, uh, snipered by Al-Qaeda, and then it was really friendly fire. Right. So there's a lot of mis... You know, the army went to push a propaganda. Hey, we're doing the right things. We're the white hats. That's one of the crazy Instead things. Instead of just telling the truth. Instead of telling the Abu truth. Abu Ghraib. They got, yeah, they for got, God's sake. Yeah. They yeah. Got I, like, I'm a, I'm a product of of the machine but i try to make it my own like how i how i use the things that i've gained from my service yeah in mm-hmm. terms of it you know well i mean and you so, were there for the right you were there to protect your people i mean you know the i mean, I mean everyone's i mean you were there to protect my people greatest so to make sure. achievement and yeah. claim to fame from being in the army and my my most proudest thing is zero kills zero kills to be through deployment and to just not kill anyone mm-hmm. and to actually have like helped save like 600 people is ridiculous yeah. that's how many people came through the aid station right on through all these things and so yeah. making it through that being who i am being true to myself as a soldier i had two fire i had a big ass machine gun and i had a sidearm i had hella rounds on me all the time yeah i was the most prepared soldier you can possibly be i also had i would have like 12 bags of IVs taped up, ready to go. Yeah. So big-ass pack. And so having not to kill anyone or to be in those situations where, hey, you know what? You fucking, you don't have to kill. And to make it back from that and to have that. Like, there's people who are like, oh, I got so many kills. I was like, yeah, yeah. That's just me, though. That's me. Yeah, yeah. You hear about the movies like Sniper or whatever and all that sort of stuff, and you wonder what happens in their conscience, you know, because that weighs on you. And folks may be thinking, hey, I thought this was the theater thing, (laughs) but this is your life, and you bring that on the stage. And I really believe it's something Norman and I talk about all the time. There are so many kids who they go to school for theater and they immediately go on stage, but they have no life to bring because they haven't really done anything. It's, and, and I think there's something to be said for an actor to have lived yeah. outside of the theater, outside of, you know, 
oh, look at me, put the lights on to me. But they do. They serve, let's say, their country or they just do something to sort of bring some balance into their life. Maybe they suffer. And you come back on stage, you are a different actor. You are a different person. Your life experiences count for something. Yes. But it's also very, very nice if you can take that experience Mm -hmm. and use it for something else. Yeah. Yeah. Feed yourself. Yeah. Feed the audience. You have a script with this character that you don't really relate right. to. But mm-hmm. there could be something in your past or in your life experiences mm-hmm. that is the connection to that character. Yeah. And you never lost the theater bug even when you came back, right? No, and actually, so that's one of the best things that happened from this is that like I took everything that the Army did for me in terms of making me uh, sharper, more focused, more organized... Uh, more determined, showed me how much I can push myself and how much I can achieve as an individual, as a human. Push, it, they push you to your limits. You mm-hmm. have to because you have to be at them. You have to know what it's like yeah. to have to have nothing and survive through the worst and, situations in the world. And discipline. That's one thing that my dad conveyed to me. I've never been into the Army or anything, but he learned discipline. Jeez. And discipline is something that you carry throughout, you know, no matter what you're doing. And especially theater. I mean, theater, we talk about, oh, we're having fun on stage or whatever. But you have to be disciplined enough That's to discipline. yeah. focus on the lines and focus on, you know, getting off book. Yeah. Focusing Jeez. on, you know, the blocking and, you know, just the regiments of, you know, getting to rehearsal on time. And well, and we're also now in a new discipline. We're mm-hmm. trying to do theater in a pandemic. Yes, exactly and as right. as you were mentioning earlier, trying to do theater with and having permissions because you can't just shake a hand anymore. You can't just touch people anymore. That's you exactly have right. permissions. Yeah. There are boundaries now, yeah. and you have to ask permission to cross over in those boundaries. Yeah. Exactly, and the disciplines uh, is absolutely necessary. Everything in my life, from growing cannabis to playing golf to acting to working, showing up early, showing up on time, these sort of things, but in a very stoner, hippie, San Francisco, Filipino kid way. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm doing it my way. Like, I'll get up and I'll go play golf I'll be, because I want to... I get up early. And that's what I do. I get stuff done. Take care of the house. Walk the dog. Mm-hmm. And then at the whole time, being hella stoned, waking up, blazing, yeah. enjoying coffee because yeah. of those folks that didn't make it back. Yeah. yeah. But, but you know, you still are disciplined enough to be a good father, be a good husband. I'm huge. I'm the high, most highly functional stoner you'll ever meet. <laughs> there I you do go. so much more than people who don't smoke weed yeah. by 9 o'clock in the morning. That, like, so, and so bringing that to work. Now at um, at the place that I work now at the manufacturing company, like taking this crazy, uh, it's a startup, and so getting this crazy pirate ship of a business, it's crazy. It's led by this crazy pirate. He's like, we're going to sell weed, and we're, and so this is oh, all it's this, a cannabis business. Okay, yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. And so there's all this craziness of this pirate ship, right, led by this crazy pirate. And so then all of a sudden, this like well-trained soldier comes on, and it's just like, no. We're not letting the cannonballs roll around. <laughs> it's like, sir, sir, I need this area mopped and cleaned, okay? We're going to just hang out up there. We're going to take care of this here. We're going to organize. Right on. And so that's sort of military discipline and in terms of keeping standards, quality controls. It goes right into it. And, and again, I'm not saying you can't have fun. I'm not saying that you can't but be a pirate yeah. and the best pirate that you want to be. Yeah. But the rest of the ship, 
The ship needs to go in a direction yeah. with, with, and it needs to stay afloat, and mm-hmm. we need supplies to keep it going to exactly. feed the crew, and the crew needs to. Right. I'll so, volunteer to do that. Yeah, you we'll, just go do your. Yeah, we'll make you a nice thing. seat up there. <laughs> so that's sort of, but it's 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 we'll an make you an observation deck from mm-hmm. up there. The rest of it we got. I have to tone it back though, because when I came back, there was a very, I was very soldier versus civilian, and so the transition. Yeah, well, you didn't need to be a civilian. The expectations I have of the civilian world, even just yeah. like my wife and then my friends and then the kids, mm-hmm. like it's a like I've really had to, like adjust and be like okay. The expectations you have of people and society and things, good and bad, have to be toned down because yeah. in the civilian world, it is not so heightened. Like that's the PTSD. That's what's really happening. Yeah. So having yeah. to deal with that being that's another thing. Um, yeah. Success is having PTSD and being able to function and work. I, I'd and never be knew. A parent. Yeah, I would never guess you had they had to deal with that. Yeah. yeah. It's like full diagnosis, and so that's like what I'm actually um, <clears throat> service connected for mental health for mental health disability for PTSD. And so um, I get a disability check every month for, it's just, but the, the, the craziness of it is the same level that people have um, outside of San Francisco, but being able to have access to my network of family and friends, access to cannabis, it's really helped my yeah. PTSD awesome. hugely. Imagine, imagine if you were, let's say, from like your friend who's West is Virginia, it? Texas, where they don't have access to cannabis freely. Yeah. They go to drinking. They go from being soldiers and yeah. being like, I'm going to be a medic. I'm and you hear these stories. You hear these horrible stories. And they, drink, and they yeah. do coke. And then they're all of a sudden, fuck. Like, it's crazy. It's hard. And then, oh, here I am in San Francisco, like thriving. But you have to make that choice to thrive. You have yeah. to, the challenges, you have to take the challenges on. You have mm-hmm. to, uh, like, therapy and get it. But you hit, you hit a, a, a very specific thing of having a network. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That even if you fell, there would be people there to help you get back up. Oh, yeah. Yep. My wife, her mom and dad, my brothers and sisters, my mom and dad, my cousins, everybody is there yeah, for and you. I, so. And it sounds as if that's incredibly crucial because the, the guys, who, or guys and gals who we were talking about, they don't have, some of them don't have those types of networks. It's the most heartbreaking thing. So when you thing. fall, you fall. Yeah. By guys getting home from deployment, yeah. I'm coming home. We're get, all getting off the bus. I have my, my wife, my younger brother Cholo. This is Georgia. My younger brother Cholo, her dad, my mom, they all came. And it's fucking hugs. That's awesome. Amazing. Yeah. That's and awesome. And I look over and I see hella my homies like, what are you going to do? Let's go get some beers. That's it. That's it. Yeah, it's, it's then, sad. It's very sad. Yeah, it's like holy shit. But then it's very, it's it's all very clear for me because of like my faith and my. It's it's different. Yeah. Guys that didn't have faith, guys that didn't have support, guys that have faith yeah. and have support. It's yeah. nuts. It's crazy but how you're, you perceive you're, things. Yeah. yeah, you're a loving and caring person, and that you know that comes back to you. I mean, that you know you have people who are like, hey, that's Giancarlo. That's someone who has been good to me. So we're going to be there. I mean, what you put out into the universe comes back to oh, you yes. uh, from the people. Okay. I want to get back to theater. Prior to Bendelstiff, uh, have you been on what, what stages have you acted on? So theater prior to Bindlestiff, I was I took that break from getting back in the army to Bindlestiff. I was just teaching golf. I really, and golf was another thing of PTSD that helped me. I yeah. really absorbed myself into golf and learning golf and teaching golf and being becoming the assistant pro at Lincoln Park Golf Course. But during that time, I would always be studying. I would always have my five monologues. I would have two. Right on. Yeah, I would have. Um, the actor that that is prepared. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I would have two Shakespeare pieces, two classicals, and then three contemporary. I'd always have like Reservoir Dogs, 
you know, like a Quentin Tarantino. Nice, nice. And I also, I'd also have one from, uh, from an audition book. I do, you know, like, I love Shakespeare. Shakespeare is like one of my greatest loves. Thank you, John Wilk. Shout mm -hmm. out to John Wilk, City College. Um, but he's taught in so many different places, ACT and all those. But for instilling a passion and love for an appreciation for Shakespeare. And so I would always, and so at the golf course, I'd be doing them all the time. I'd be like, yo, yo, here, listen, do, listen to my model. Listen to my model. And I'd be doing them, like, <laughs> right on. while I'm in between lessons or at work, whatever. And so my buddy George, who's Filipino, um, he was a part of um, a, com a theater troupe prior that um, predated Bindlestiff called TNT, uh, Teatro Nang Tanang. It's a, mm, okay. It was a very political-based activist theater, like very much. Was Alan Manalo part of that? I, like the the OGs of the, it's like the origins of the Marvel universe. <laughs> yeah, or, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Of the Bindlestiff universe, that these all these different superpowers it. and yeah. great like right? universal energies and you know these and so then that, George was one of that when he was younger and so but we were me and both George met at Lincoln teaching golf, and so um, he was taking the director. Uh, workshop for Stories High in 2015. Oh, okay. And so at this point, I had been working with George 2015, 2007, at least eight years. So he's had eight years of my monologues in Shakespeare and just loving it and cracking up. And so he comes to me one day and he's like, gee, you got to fucking audition for this thing. You heard of Bindlestiff? And I'd heard of Bindlestiff from my cousin Warner Goff. He told me about it before, but Warner, I was young. Yeah. I was young and dumb and hustling. I told you about that part. So I was like, what? <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm like, what? No, I, I don't know. I, I'm studying here. I wasn't ready to be like a part of anything. I wanted to study during that time. Mm -hmm. So it kind of went in, and I just, and when I was at City College, and so um, started. Uh, George was like, hey, you gotta come audition. I went to audition. This is 2015 for Stories High. That's um, the 2016, I guess it was gonna be. Yeah. And I go to. Um, this place in Soma, um, and it's Arene, Ed, Joe, Kaskasen, Ollie, all these people that I would eventually come to know and love super mm -hmm. to my core love. I have to go and audition for these people now, right? And I didn't know who they were, and so I was just like ready to do my pro audition. You know, they got my resume. I got to do my monologues. Um, uh, Joe was like, oh, you you do RP, receive pronunciation? You, uh, you do British dialect? I was like, yeah. And so I did some Shakespeare, and he was just like, oh, shit, he really can do it. <laughs> and, so like, right and so, again, John Wilk for teaching for Shakespeare, literally mm -hmm. teaching us RP. And so um, I like to think that I blew them all away um, during that audition. And so I got cast in a couple things for that first Stories High in 2015, 2016. Um, first was by Laura Priscilla Paul, and the, the piece was written by Benita Benavidez. Okay. Um, and it was co-starring me, Twee, Twee Tran, and... Um, Paula Sison, and uh, it was about the white lady in Balletta Drive, and I played St. Peter, and I came in on a hmm. Razor scooter with wings. Oh, funny. And so, it was a very, and so that was my first thing. That, and so, but I was also part of another, Siklistang uh, Pinoy, which was uh, by Glenn, uh, and so Glenn Andag, he, uh, it was about a Philippine cyclist in Soma and going against the gentrification of the neighborhood. Wow, yeah. And so there I met Glenn, I met Mark, some of my dearest friends, mm -hmm. uh, Missa, and Benita, there was like, uh, it was directed by uh, this guy, Chris, who was also a veteran. He was, uh, I don't think he's any, no longer part of Bindle Stiff. But that was my first my first thing at the Stiff. But prior to that, it was all City College. Uh, I came back for more. I did an independent film called The Invisible City. Yeah. It was um, with this um, production company called Baycat Studios. It was over on 3rd Street. And they take uh, people from, youth from all kinds of different 
um, disadvantaged youth where they don't have programs for film or anything like that, and they do um, uh, apprenticeship program scholarships, and so mm -hmm. they we all they all shoot. It's directed by like there's the director. Um, everybody there of the director and the writer were from Baycat, and then all of everything else, the production team, the stylist, the makeup, the wardrobe, were all part of that apprenticeship program. Mm -hmm. And so I got cast from John Wilk, um, from one of our the make one of the artists who were uh, doing makeup on a production. Um, I was in the full length state, the full uh, play of uh, production of. The importance of being earnest. Oh wow! On that city, and so the the makeup artist from there was just like, "Hey, um, they're having a hard time finding a Samoan actor for this project that I'm doing makeup on. Do you have anybody?" And so John was, uh, he was like, "Hey, John Carlo, they need someone who can play a Samoan guy, and I think you could totally play a Samoan guy." I was like, "I can play a Samoan guy, I can, you know, whatever." And so I got there, got to meet everybody, did my audition. And they were like, "Great, can you start working tomorrow?" Like, yeah. <laughs> there you and go. I was like, "What happened? How, how come were there not any Samoan dudes coming out to audition?" And they were like, "There were, but in the community, acting and doing things is not looked highly upon. So mm -hmm. they'll commit, and then they'll get they'll back out due mm -hmm. to family pressure, not mm -hmm. working, not making money, or it's not cool. friends. It's yeah. not cool. Yeah. And so I did my best to." do honor to Samoan dude so Invisible City um, uh, and so we did the, it was a great it was a great experience independent film it was on Vimeo I think you can still find it on Vimeo yeah yeah you have um, give, us, give us the link and we'll uh, go ahead and do that and so that was the only that bet so between that was like 2010 and 2015 where yeah. I found Bimbo it was pretty much just golf and sort of I guess I did I auditioned for a couple things there were some like commercials here and there yeah, but it was really all about golf during that time. Then yeah. I found Bindlestiff, and I just found my home and like this place where I can be me, and I'm accepted for being me and all of my passions and arts and craziness. Mm -hmm. And there's people who look like me and are just as crazy and creative and supportive and yeah. loving, and we're all doing. It. And so coming from city where I know where I learned production history and all of the craft, and to see all these different people. In those things, seeing Ed, seeing Darius, seeing Dave, doing yeah. the lights, doing the stage, doing yeah. stage managing, doing the production, doing all of these things, and being like, "Holy shit! Like, where have I been? My, where have you been my whole yeah. life?" Yeah. And so, anything from that time on, anything Bindlestiff has ever needed, I'm there. We were de delivering food during COVID on Thursdays to oh, awesome. uh, Filipino families and elders. Boom! Sign me up. I'm there. I it, looked. I loved it every Thursday. It's it's amazing what Bindlestiff. Bindlestiff is more than it's. To call it just a theater company is just it, doesn't give it justice. It, and all three of us have had our company. you know our yeah. our things with Bindlestiff, and it's wonderful. And you know, getting back to Na Dallas, say such a wonderful experience. And you had brought up you know the whole intimacy thing. I want to give full disclosure. Okay. Um, I stepped on the third rail, and I, you know we've talked. And the reason why I'm talking about this is because we've had several. We've even had Maya Herbsman on, who is an intimacy uh, coach, and she, we've talked about bad experiences that uh, females have had on stage. During an Dallas say, I had kissed one of the actresses on the forehead. And it was something that was not talked about. I had something that I did spontaneously, and I was completely wrong. And I can't really talk about, hey, we need to have, you know, uh, communication and we need to have, you know, intimacy, um, respectability on stage. 
without coming forward. And, you know, I apologize to the actress and to Bindlestiff. And it's important because Bindlestiff is more than the theater. It's a community. And you can't have anyone come into the theater to disrupt that that vibe. And it's it's important to... Um, to make sure that Bindlestiff is remains the warm and wonderful place where everyone can grow. If you want to be a writer, you can learn how to write. You can learn how to act. You can learn how to do tech. It's it's a wonderful thing. And like you talked about distributing food and all of that sort of stuff, you know, it, it's an important thing. So once again, you know, I I was wrong and I apologize. And it's one of those things, you know, it's it's a learning process to um, to to be respectable when it comes to intimacy. And communication on stage. And well, and you're also in the Bindlestiff group. It's not even a group. You you are a family. Yeah. And with that family and being embraced as a family member, as a family member, there's procedures and protocols. Yep. And respect across the board. And on top of that, in the new theater world that we're in, yes, all of a sudden you have to be aware of those protocols and procedures and paying respect. And right. that's where we are <clears throat> as a, as a to, group company to make, now. To make sure that everyone, every single person feels warm and respected and everyone has to have a wonderful experience. No one wants to come off of their jobs at the end of the day to go into the theater and have a bad experience. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. No, I think for, for someone who I can now, I think I could personally say like as um, as one of the actors and part of the crew and family at Bindlestiff, that the actions of one person throughout this family are not going to have a, such an effect as what you what you fear of a person from the outside coming in. Yeah, it won't. You really, it, you, I don't want you to sort of feel that guilt in terms of like the things that happen like that. We're st- we're all such a strong community that we'll get we get through it. Yeah, and even like all together we'll get through it, and yeah. it's not something that like is gonna. A, some, a situation like that where something like that happens isn't something that's going to like, oh, fuck up the whole vibe or anything like that. It's like, no, it, it happened. We'll process it. He apologized for it. We all apologize, like really, because we want everybody to feel safe. Exactly. And so we're mm-hmm. all complicit and responsible for every action that we have, even if it, because we're an ensemble. And so mm-hmm. for what you were doing, you were trying to do art and it's coming from your soul. Mm-hmm. And so something like that in the heat of the moment could have been handled better. Yes. Could have been paused and been like, hey, mm-hmm. but it's also, it, it happened and you're like, oh, you know what? I didn't realize it was going to have this effect on you. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. That's terrible. And so we're learning through this. Like, I'm, I'll tell you, like, one of the things that, like, saying stupid shit at Bindlestiff. Oh, my God. I'm such an idiot. Um, pronouns are a thing. Oh, pronouns yeah. are a huge thing. Yeah. And it's very important for your people's pronouns, especially at the theater. Yeah. And so we're having introduction at Story High at, or at Love Edition. And um, I'm an idiot. I'm an American. I'm a fucking soldier, like cisgendered, like just straight, like dude from you know San Francisco, California. And I'm just trying to be funny. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just trying to be whatever. And I'm not, you know, I'm not like hating on anyone's she, they, their, he, her. I'm not. I wasn't hating on any of that. I was just trying to be. I was just being stupid and not thinking. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, and so um, everyone's doing their pronouns. She, uh, she, her, she, they, theirs, and I was just like, "You can call me Master or Your Highness." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and this is thirty people. Maybe eighty percent are new to Giancarlo. Yeah, which um, the twenty percent are like Giancarlo, and they're like, "Oh, he's stupid," and I, and you know they're just like. 
But the other tw- 80 are like, oh my God. <laughs> and you're instantly <laughs> branded. Shit. Like, you unwoke piece of shit boomer motherfucking shut your fucking oh, mouth. Mas- Majesty, your highness. And they're serious. We have like... We have trans folks. We have we have LGBT. We have everybody that was there. One of my closest friends that was there, like Rach, rest in peace. Rach. Yeah. Uh, and so I didn't know Rach at that time, and I didn't know any of like, I was just like I said, I was brainwashed, and I was I'm trying to decolonize and do all these things, and so Bindlestiff is huge on that, and so that's something that sticks with me. Is like, hey, you know, remember you're that guy that did that. So well, yeah, fucking yeah. Shit. And so, but you know, through yeah. all of that, yeah. Uh, love and respect because they know that like I'm just an idiot. I, I'm well, just a class. Yeah. I'm just a jester. Yeah, but every, every, every you know, everyone. It's, it's a learning process for everyone. Even when it comes to gender, I mean, I'll, you and I were talking off mic. I had stage managed Lamont when we did Master Harold and the Boys, which you were magnificent in. You were just what? fantastic. <laughs> and we had a light board operator who, during tech, I had. Uh, this is a person who identifies as a man, but is not born as a man. Um, but you know, he, he is, he's a man because you know, that's what he identifies as, but he didn't tell me, he didn't tell anyone this until, uh, tech, uh, and you know, and he was a younger person as well. So, you know, he says, Hey, and you know, I'm like saying, Hey, so-and-so, can you do this? Can you call somebody called her and attention? And he was like, Hey, I am a man. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. And this is in 2011, right? right. Yeah, we, we did in 2011. So it's one of those, you don't, you don't know what the third rail is until you hit the third rail. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, and when you hit the third rail, it's a learning lesson. Such a learning lesson. That's the thing that I think a lot of people, not, that's, that's kind of a, a broad stroke with the brush. Mm-hmm. But people should remember that if it's a teachable moment, that's what it's going to become, especially when you're not doing anything intentionally. If you're willing to learn. If you're willing to learn, it instantly becomes a teachable moment. That's when everyone can embrace it for what it is, make the corrections, make the disconnect the disconnected yeah. and then move forward with your lives yeah. in love and in heart and that's the cool thing about theater in general i mean regardless of how you know usually if you have these wonderful production conversations to make sure that everyone is on point and everyone mm-hmm. is connected it's going to show on stage it's going to you know you're going to have a connected actor uh, acting ensemble and the audience will feel that they won't know what's happening, you know, and you know, like how the, what do they call it? What's the analogy? How the uh, how this how the dinner gets made, mm. but they'll see, you know, it on stage. Like you know, our closing audience, you know, they saw wonderful energy from Bindlestiff. You can tell. I mean, you've been in productions where it's like I don't know what's happening on stage, but something is not right, and you know something's going on. You can tell when someone's energy is off, yep. or when. Two people just aren't getting into the sink that they normally do. And something else, usually from the outside, mm-hmm. is now on the inside yeah. and it's on stage with you. It's like, there's an elephant in the room. Right, exactly. And, and usually there's a director that doesn't know. They're just banging each other. 
<laughs> you guys are not supposed to actually bang each other. Right, right exactly. And that's what's happening now. <laughs> Damn it. And it's one of those things that Bindlestiff does not have that issue because Aureen, there's so many individuals all the way between Aureen and Marissa Amapon. Yeah. Is that her? Is that her last name? Am- Ampon. Ampon. Yeah. Um, Ollie. There's so many individuals who will make sure that everything is right. Yeah. And no, no, no. Those situations come up, and I think that it's actually one of the great things about being um, a smaller community theater is that we can address them, opposed to something maybe that gets swept under a rug in a bigger theater company. Well, also, the shows that Bindle Stiff does, they're across the board, but I found them to be a tad more serious. Mm-hmm. Deeper, yeah. at times darker, oh, and, in, and inclusive, right. and racially inclusive. And I mean, inclusive. yeah, they didn't need to have a black actor in in in, in Dallas. Say, I'm glad they did. I was like, and I wasn't just Harris. It wasn't like they was like, well, Harris could be anybody. Let's make him a black guy. No, Harris was a black guy from Haiti. I mean, and uh, he had uh, Jamaican roots, and he had Pittsburgh roots, Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania. So I was like, hey. Ollie really took the time to yeah, exactly. step outside of the Philippine experience and bring another experience in. Yeah. Without it being awesome. canned, without it being like exactly. not authentic, with it being super real, like how we have, because he, he draws from our regular everyday yeah. lives. Yeah. And the stories are instantly relatable. Yeah. And the audience gets that. And yep. the Bindlestiff audiences, the regulars, they come to expect that, and yep. they expect. And the fun thing, mm-hmm. the best thing about it is they expect nothing less. Yes. Yep. 100%. And they get it. Yeah. They, they get totally it. get it. No, it's awesome. I mean, it is. It is really, really awesome. And it's awesome when people can go to Bendelstiff and then bounce up to bigger and better things. Oh yeah. Like Jet Presario, who oh, is yeah. now teaching acting. Yeah. He his first show was Stories High uh, 20, uh, 2011. When he played uh, Rizal, I think it was, uh, um, I forget the Philippine, uh, there's a historical figure yeah, Jose named Rizal. Rizal. Jose yeah. Rizal. And I didn't realize it until he was on the A, and he said, no, that was my very first acting role coming out of school. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's amazing. That's amazing. A bunch have gone on. Lauren Garcia. Um, also that's Chuck, right. Our guy Chuck. Yeah. Uh, Chuck going on to bigger. Golda at yeah. Shotgun. Um, was at Shotgun as well. Golda's done bigger things. She wrote, she Melvin Badiola. Mel, yeah. Yeah, Mel a, and I was at on um, Town Hall Theater. There's we, a bunch of people. Nicole McShally's gone on to big things. Yeah. Um, Jeff Francisco's on uh, the Lincoln Lawyer right now. Wow. <coughs> and he's playing someone that kind of lightweight looks like me. Yeah. It's weird, like real life. <laughs> <laughs> kind of Rock, like receding hairline tattoo. Yeah, Roxanne top. Enriquez, I believe, is in oh, L.A. Oh, yeah, is amazing. Yes, yeah. Yes. Um, and also Cat Avasco. Cat, amazing all the way. Um, there's so many great people to look up to that have gone on to like other things, like for sure. Yeah. I, like my heart's at stiff. Whatever the stiff needs is pretty much yeah. what we need. Whatever I'll do. Yeah. I mean, if anybody needs anything outside of the stiff, I'm always game, you know. But my heart is always with the stiff. Anything. Yeah. If there's productions or if there's a choice between something else and the stiff, like if I have a conflict, it's the stiff 100. Yeah. But but uh, let me ask you this. Do you have other – and we're <laughs> – we've been going on two hours. <laughs> oh, dang. Going, we're having a lot of fun. Do you, um, do you have other aspirations? Because you – I can see you in television. I can see you in the movies. I can see you in L.A. I can see you in New York. I mean – Our, our – um, like our friend Risa, who is uh, – Risa Donna. Risa, yeah. Yeah, she's in SoCal, um, which is funny. The first time I met her was an intimacy thing. Um, I'll tell you that story like after this, but, um, for acting like, like riding the Harleys and heading, like living this life that I live like in cannabis and have being in San Francisco and having the Harleys is all like, I'm, it's all motivated by folks that didn't make it home from war for me. And so mm. all of that, 
it it's great to like for me i have dreams of making movies and going to socal and la and doing like stand up everywhere but like being like now being 44 like it's really I've, i'm focusing in on like more stand up and and just eventually just getting back into teaching golf to sort of i just love it so much you know yeah. and sort of maybe combining those two you know a stand up comedian who also does like golf corporate events or sort of my really end game in golf is getting like the game to the youth and the masses and teaching like folks getting golf to folks who can't really yeah. to show them that it's not like an elitist thing that it's exercise I, i've always it. yeah every time i thought about golf i was like oh i could never do something like that you know it's like a rich elitist white sport but then of course you have tiger woods and you have youth who are playing golf and yeah. uh you know it's it's really opened up to a more diverse um, group of folks. That's here's, awesome. The thing, here's the thing about golf. Okay, so then I started in 99 and I've been playing since then and like when I went to war I literally would all read, I read every golf book. We had this um, in the Mechanics Bay someone had left a old like Italian clubs, golf clubs and so I'd go over there and I'd hit fucking rocks off of this carpet and we made this like driving range out the back of the Mechanics Bay where we're hitting rocks with these Italian clubs, these old clubs. Mm, and it was just mm. me because then, like, you know, I'd read these books. I'd read Jack Nicholas, Ben Hogan, Tiger Woods. And then I'd come after duty, after job, coming back on patrol. And I just, like, just me and mechanics, we'd all just kind of geek out and hit rocks. This colonel came by one day. I was like, what are you guys doing? We're like, sorry, sir. Don't salute me. We're at war. And so it's like, uh, we're just hitting rocks. And he's like, all right, I got you guys. He leaves. Like, two days later, we get this huge shipment of golf stuff. Wow. Hella golf balls. Yeah. Three sets of clubs. <laughs> And nice. so now all, See, it all of a sudden nice. becomes a thing where mm. these other groups are coming from patrols of other bases and coming to our base to hit balls at our range. And we're hitting balls. Mm. We all of a sudden got this big hitting, range, hitting mat. We had like four mats. And we're hitting out the back. The back of our base, out the back mechanic, was covered in golf balls because you can't go and get them. You just leave them out there because of landmines or any kind of <laughs> shit. It's for as far as you can see, mm. for 300 yards, <laughs> golf, golf balls. Nice. If you were to Google Maps over that, you would see this. And so that's all I would do is golf, golf, golf. Came back, and I was like, the dude that I learned from, Lance Wong, he was our teacher at City. Before I left for war, he was like, hey, when you um, come back, you want a job? Holler at me. So I got back, literally started from scrubbing toilets, washing carts, getting into his, being his apprentice, teaching, learning, the, getting into the PGA program, becoming a assistant pro, awesome. and teaching my, teaching with him the same classes that I was learning, that I started in, teaching the beginning, adva immediate, and advanced uh, golf at City College under him. And so being his assistant there, teaching assistant, teaching lessons at City, I wow. mean at Lincoln. Yeah. And so it was just golf, golf, golf all day long, all day long. And so like um, I stopped that um, when I started managing a dispensary in 2017 it was pretty much just like private lessons but i really transit a lot of the kids that i was teaching or older folks like they moved on some of the kids went on to college um and i just was just doing a bunch of weed stuff just growing weed and really focusing on managing the dispensary um and then the the owners there golfed and so i was like oh let's get back in the golf again and i realized that i was hella fucking good at golf i'm like yeah that's right i'm fucking good at golf that's right <laughs> And so then um, play, 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 golf, play, golf, pandemic hits. I stop playing. Other people pick it up. I stop playing. Um, I get this. I get a job at this new company at the startup that I'm at now, mm. and everybody there plays golf. And hey. so I'm just like, oh, check this out. Of course they do. So <laughs> I will pass. I'm a scratch golfer. I'm a zero handicap. I play like all the time. I practice all the time, and I love it. And so it's all from teaching. It's all from just a passion. And um, 
I'm really. I have a test in September where um, I can get or I get recertified. I do a playing ability test. That's you play two rounds of 18 in one day. So it's at San Jose. And so I got that coming. So I'm training for that. Like post and I Dallas I mm -hmm. is all just golf workout, golf stand up, golf. Stand -up. Yeah, you talk about stand up. I should hook you up with Plethos Productions because they have started doing more stand up um, shows and they're bringing in artists. Of nice diversity, you know, not okay. a lot of you know white comedians, and so I'm sure they can use a comedian. So one of our like the amazing we're talking about alums at Bindlestiff, um, one of Alan Manalo's like greatest the dudes, uh, Alan of course, yeah. our, our stand up OG, but Kevin Kamia is our dude who's gone on and um, he did workshops throughout pandemic, getting to know Kevin as a stand up, and there's a group of us that are like all like those guys that are hitting it all through now, Alan, Rhoda, Manny. That uh, Deborah DB, they're all they've been going out consistently since mics have been opening. They're like three times a week, yeah, four times a week, and so I'm trying to jump on that train mm -hmm. and go with them and just start hitting mics and start doing it. It's just, it's just another way of that live performance, getting that, and then also your own writing and um, audience interaction. You know, getting that, making, getting the audience to laugh and all of that stuff, but also um, sharing your story. You know. Like, yeah, getting to they, you know, share who you are. That's what like a, oh, that's what stand up is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I totally get it. Um, so it sounds like you're staying put. I mean, you know, if you your you family aren't going to, oh, head of, okay. it's hard for me to leave San Francisco. <laughs> I can walk down the street and smoke a joint and walk my dog and not be <laughs> yeah. harassed. And gentrification hasn't hit you. You know, you guys are a survivor. Well, I mean, the, the VA, the We're VA super lucky. bill. We're yeah. super blessed. Like for we almost lost the house and like I had to sort of um not to, for lack of a better term bite the bullet and go to the va and start getting my my benefits because like i had a bunch of uncles were like dude are you service connected you get your benefits i'm like nah fuck that shit leave that for people who got blown up I'm like i'm good i'm good i'm growing weed i'm with my wife we are, we're here mm -hmm. and then um my dad passed away and like my dad at that time i was like mm -hmm. golf money and my wife and trying to pay the mortgage we were like contributing on the mortgage of the house that we're in and my dad was doing like probably 65% on his retired fucking pension from the Chronicle. Mm. He worked 30 years at the SF Chronicle as a wow. painter. Wow. And so, you know, I'm trying to sell weed and like my wife and she's working, getting, like she works in the medical industry. She's a medical office manager. And so then she gets pregnant. And then my dad, you know, we, uh, we're doing all right. He passed away. He got, my, my wife got pregnant with our son. Um, <laughs> but it, my wife got pregnant. Yeah. Gee, so, how that? So, <laughs> no, no. So, yeah, but it, so then, like these things happened. Like he, yeah, they missed yeah, each yeah. other by like two weeks. Yeah, yeah. Like my dad passed away. A death and a two life. Two weeks That's later, amazing. my son was born. Yeah, and so, yeah. but during that time, it was nuts because all of a sudden, he's gone. We're two people with zero credit, trying to get on this mortgage, and then trying to figure out how we're gonna make fucking. Two thousand more dollars each between us to keep the mortgage, and like my sister was helping us out. You know, shout out to Jazz. Like she's my younger siblings. The younger siblings are like my allies. My yeah. older sibling, the firstborn, he's like whatever, but whatever. We love him. But yeah, yeah, they're my team. And so Jazzy, my youngest, the sibling, took mm. helped helped out me and my wife get through mortgage time. I fucking hit the lottery. I won fifty-five thousand wow. dollars in the lottery <laughs> right on. after my dad had died. Wow! Which saved so I God gave loves my you, man. money. God loves you, gave man. Gave my my sister back money. Plus, yeah, took care of like the debt that we were. We dude, we had no idea about property tax. Yeah, five thousand a year in property tax that we weren't paying for how many years? Yeah, it was like twelve thousand oh, no. dollars. There weren't any liens, were there? 
No, we didn't have it, thankfully. Good. So good, then good, good. it just, I all of a sudden was just like, okay, then I got to do something about this. And so I went to the VA, checked in, and they're like, dude, you, where you been? Like, you've been needing to come in here. It's like, do you know that because you're a vet, your kids get free education at state and UCs just because you're a vet? And I'm like, well, if that's the only reason that I'm here, fuck yeah. That's the fucking... <laughs> right on. These kids are going to college, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. Let alone health care. Let alone dental. Let alone fucking eye care, mental health, getting therapy. Hey, this goes back to when God told you to join to do the army. Dude, 100%. It's nuts. Yeah. And all the you, blessings that you're getting. Every day of my life, every moment, I'm talking to God, just being thankful. Like, thank you for my wife and kids being healthy. Please take care. And all the time, I'm the most grateful, thankful person I yeah. find. If I find myself in a situation where I'm dealing with an outside person who's trying to be aggressive or anything, or I run into a situation, I'm one of the most deadly people in the world because of my training. I can yeah. easily take down anybody, anything, anytime. But to be able to... Um, bring peace to a situation be like hey like someone's going nuts and having a mental health situation on mm -hmm. San Francisco streets yeah and there's something and I'm just like hey I can just use this energy that I have yeah and be like hey yeah are you okay thanks and to we change need, that we need people like that and to yeah. have effects like that on people like everyday yeah. heroes and to do that and so to have that into me and to know that I can do that and to do that is is huge because that's the there's gift. no fear that's the gift yeah. yeah, that's the gift. That's the best thing that's out of all. I tell you, if every police officer had that mentality, there would be a lot less I, stuff in the news. Dude, I would totally be a cop if they would let me smoke weed. <laughs> I'd be like, do you know how fast you were going? Slow down, Grandma. Instead of bussing folks for weed, smoke yeah. the weed. I'd be like, hey, man. Cops on weed would not be bad. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, what, I, what I don't want to do is be like this, be like, freeze. Uh, just playing. <laughs> just playing. Like, yeah, hey, like, is that like, a joint in your car? Yeah. Can, can be, come yeah, on, man. Give me, give me a hit. Don't just have it out. Guy. Come on. Don't okay. smoke that some. But that's just me. I just, I think just as a, um, just as a person, because I think I could do so much good as a police officer and help. And But the reason I don't is because that having that not be access to one of the most stressful jobs in the world. Cops, you're doing just fine. Everybody should need to be able to have cannabis. If you're dealing with mental health people trying to kill themselves, dead kids, all dude, yeah. you are the first person that should be smoking <laughs> weed when you get off work. Yeah. Because thank you. I am sorry, officer. You are doing fucking that work. Yeah. But instead, they are fucking, no, you can't smoke weed. You fucking, dude, how cops dying from coke and fentanyl? It's yeah. fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Because that's all, it doesn't show up in their yeah. fucking piss test. You hear about the football players. I mean, Ricky Williams, he left the league because he needed to smoke. Dude, because... how many people are dying? Young college students, young pro athletes are dying from fentanyl and cocaine. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. nuts. And so, for that, I'm a huge advocate for vets getting access to cannabis, to first responders getting access into not being like scorned. For yeah. being, for having a medicine, a plant for post work stress, like yeah. dude. Like, you know the other uh, Bindle stiffer, old schooler, um, Deanna Aquino. Oh yeah, I love her. I love her. Yeah, yeah, she's also she also she's selling a huge weed. Pot advocate. Yeah, yeah, she's great in it. It's all there's so many like they are like that's a cannabis in our in our community is huge because we're able to create to make peace to make sense to process. The craziness of our world. There's so many yeah. politically active, super intelligent people in our in our midst at Bindlestiff. Mm -hmm. Golda and Nick alone, on their own stratospheres of what's going on, the pulse of society is ridiculous. I listen to them and I listen to her. The shine and the conversation shines a teacher at Lincoln. Yeah, having the pulse and understanding and learning from all of them is is such a huge blessing. And so. 
that's like I'm so thankful for Bendis for bringing us together too. Yeah, and they're thankful for you. I mean, you know, you really added to you know just the camaraderie, and you know, you were sort of the the uh, what do they call it? The in architecture, the uh, the keystone. You were the keystone oh, of the, of the thank production. You. I really I do believe that. Yeah, I try. <laughs> Alan says to me, he's like, dude, you're part of the talent, bro. <laughs> exactly. Oh, you I are. Alan. I fucking love Alan. <laughs> Alan and Joyce. Everybody there, like to have like to be who you are. Yeah. As a person, where your art. And you go, like, I go in on it with my art when I go, like, I'm on my script, I'm character development, I'm scene study, yeah. all on, during work break, I'm everything and trying to, and then bringing that to what I can to the performance and all of that, I geek out so hard and to do these things and to bring these little things, my remote control, to bring my long socks, to bring little, the, the actions, the moments, the facial, everything you do as an artist, as an actor, awesome. yeah. mm -hmm. everything, all yeah. of it, to bring all of that and to have that not only loved but supported and encouraged yeah. and wanted and desired like as yeah. the, like you guys like what I do I just geek out on it and they're like we love what you do come do it you're amazing at what you do and to get that to have yeah. that as a person as an artist as a as like just as Giancarlo Cariola just as who I am like who needs that that sort of love and support and reassurance in my life and to get that is something that words do not justify. It's so deeper than words, the love that I have for Aureen and Dave and Nick, my cousin Nikki, Risa, Lo, Joe, everybody, the whole yeah, crew, the yeah. Marks, the Geek Show, Q, QAF, you know, Queer, Fob, everybody. Yeah. The Granny Cart Gangsters, Granny yeah. Cart, yeah. I'm the hugest mm -hmm. Granny Cart fan. I'm, they're the most amazing. They're our, they're our shining star, Granny Cart is ridiculously talented and smart. They're yeah. Crazy. I'm trying to get um, Faye and uh, Shine on as our next guest. Oh, they're amazing. So that'd be awesome. Being able to work with them was great. All right, we, we better close it up. Yay. <laughs> but we're having so much fun, man. Oh, man. There are some birthdays. Uh, usually Norman has a list of birthdays, but he's not here. Uh, Dominique Williams, who is the artistic director, one of the associate artistic directors at Aurora Theater, fantastic director. She directed me twice. Uh, she directed me in uh, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown and also Civil War Christmas. Wonderful black female uh, director. Her birthday was June the, July the 2nd. Oh, it'll be tomorrow. Happy birthday. Happy, Happy birthday. Aureen, ow. Ow, July 6th. July the 6th. Happy birthday, ow. Uh, who else? Gwen Loeb. Uh, we've had her on as a uh, guest of the A. Her birthday is uh, July the 7th. Uh, and I think that is it that I have. Uh, April Joyce Lee, her birthday was June the 29th, a fantastic actress. Happy belated. She was in my play, um, oh, A Judicial Process. Uh, Stacey Cray, uh, she and I, we know each other uh, from Musical Cafe, uh, where you, uh, if you're a budding musical writer, you can uh, get your stuff on. She's a fantastic mm -hmm. writer. Happy belated to both. Happy of them. belated, Happy and uh, yeah, I think. Oh, oh David Requesto. Stein. How? There's Kim. Kim June thirtieth. Kim Requesto. Oh, okay. Kim I don't even know. I've yeah, got folks. I've, it, it's funny. You have folks on Facebook. And you're like, where do I know you from? Yeah. <laughs> Small world. Yeah. And uh, David Stein. He his birthday was June the thirtieth. He's a fantastic uh, writer and actor. I believe he's in um, Australia. No, he's in New Zealand uh, with his daughter, who's uh, who's been living there. So, uh, David Burr has a fundraiser for United Help for Ukraine. So he, uh, if you ever go on David's Facebook, uh, consider giving a donation because folks in Ukraine need it. That's that. And there are a couple of shows that I want to uh, advertise. Um, Norman is in. 
a show that is back to the way things were, San Francisco Mime Troupe, that uh, starts tomorrow. That's why he's not here today, and it ends September the 5th. Uh, check that out. Uh, Bridget, a good friend of mine, Bridget Dutta-Portman, she's a fantastic uh, writer. When I was in Paris Slices, one of her pieces was in there. She is teaching a writing course at um, the Berkeley, U, uh, UC Berkeley. Uh, if you sign up for it, you want to sign up for Section 1, because Section 2 is being taught by someone else. So I want to make sure she gets the credit. That's July the 5th through July the 22nd, and we'll have a link for that. Dreaming in Cuban, Central Works is doing that play. Gary Graves is directing it. Steve Ortiz is in the show, June 25th through July 24th. Much Do About Nothing, uh, Richard Jennings is in that. Also, Alan Coyne, and you may have heard a ding when we did the yay <laughs> earlier today. Mm-hmm. Alan was texting me. As a matter of fact, I'll read what Alan Coyne was uh, saying. Uh, let's see. I am asking... Um, I asked uh, Alan, what shows are you doing at SF Shakes? Must do much do about nothing? He says, yep, that's the one. <laughs> and he says that he doesn't mind filling in as a guest a host uh, for the yay if Norman is still busy. So Alan Coyne, he's been in everything. So check out the SF Shakes. There's a link there, July 23rd to August the 7th. Follies, San Francisco Playhouse, is doing that. That's been running, and that will be running until September the 10th. My good friend Eko Yamamoto is in that. They just had a preview. They just when didn't they have a preview last night? I think, before? So, I think so. so. Or maybe, or maybe yeah, um, June thirtieth. Yeah, June thirtieth. Yeah. yeah, that was yesterday. Awesome. <laughs> so Echo is in that, and uh, Echo is on a roll. She's been doing all sorts of musicals. I think she just finished doing uh, Working with Studs Terkel, one of my favorites. Um, and she's doing really, really cool things. Rent at the Landmark Musical Theater is uh, running. A good friend of mine, Marla Cox, fantastic singer. She was in My Musical, Nia. Uh, That will be July the 9th through August the 14th. Check that out. I am rehearsing for It's Only a Play for the, from the Altarina Theater, August the 12th through September 11th. There'll be plenty of time to check that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a couple of other podcasts going on, not just the A. Barry Graves, uh, a good friend of mine, he was in uh, my play Foreman in Paris. He has a, uh, a podcast called The Black Man's Heart, so check that out. Mallory Samara, who uh, her day job is KCBS Radio. She has a political uh, podcast, Connect the Dots, so check that out, please. And I want to say Bendelstiff Studios is still doing the Fobcast, but I don't think they're doing it. I talked to Aureen. They were like, well, we only did two. I would say check it out anyway. Check yeah. out the two yeah. episodes they have. Really good. Yeah, and man. I'm hoping that they'll re- reboot it. Yeah. <clears throat> they should. In any case, those are the shows that are going on. Um, Lamont, you, well, you're working on something. There's nothing to advertise, right? That nothing you're doing? to advertise. Okay. And you're... Uh... Nothing to advertise. <laughs> okay. I'm not yet. Not yet. I'll advertise stand-up when stand-up starts happening. Right on. Um, Jim, did you enjoy yourself, man? I did. Thank you for having me on. It was a really great experience. Awesome. Thank and Lamont, podcast. thank you so much. You're more than welcome. And I hope Norman feels I held up his hide of the... <laughs> side of the show. Norman, thank you for giving me that space to do that. Yeah, thank you thank so much. You, and I want to remind everyone that we have jerseys still. I just, uh, I came from the, there's a Philippine clothing um, uh, laundromat called Celia's Dry Cleaners, which is on, I think, 7th and Mission in San Francisco. Matter of fact, they, I think I told them they should come see N.A. Dallas say. I don't know if they saw it or not. But they're the ones who do the jerseys. Nice. So we have black jerseys. We have white jerseys. Check them out. It's $30. They look great. If you see some folks, um, uh, I think the last person who bought one was um, uh, Conrad Panganaman. Um, he bought one. So in any case, uh, check that out. 
Uh, also, uh, if you we're not doing a video, but we are back on the yay on all podcast apps. So if you have the purple podcast app on your iPhone or iPad, check that out. If you're an Android user, we are on the uh, Spotify. Well, we're on Spotify. I'm thinking against that because Joe Rogan has come out with some uh, crazy stuff and he's on Spotify. I don't know if I want to reward Spotify, but in any case, we're also on SoundCloud.com. So check that out. And then also SoundCloud has an app, so check that out. The A was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise, or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter. We're at the A.3. I'm at Red Space Clay. Norman is at Hoosier Hoosier. Um, Lamont, are you on social media? No. <laughs> you don't do Twitter? No. Instagram? Anything no. like that? No. Giancarlo, how if about you? If you need Lamont, we, we'll, get a, we'll get a hold of <laughs> well, you. Know, you on, are on Facebook. I, I am on Facebook. Yeah. So, yeah, we can find Giancarlo, uh, what about you? Um, Instagram at GiantHeart415420. Okay. Um, and we'll have a link to that. Yeah, and then I'm on Facebook. So, um, yeah, it was a great experience. Thank you for having. Can I take a picture of you guys? Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll we'll do the selfies and all that stuff. Thank you so much. It is a wonderful uh, Saturday. No, Friday <laughs> evening. <laughs> well, if you're on the East Coast, it is Saturday. It's Saturday, <laughs> it's Saturday somewhere. Exactly. Uh, and want everyone have a wonderful Happy Fourth of July. Uh, relax, enjoy yourself. If you're stressed out about what's happening in the world, just you know, just. All things come to pass. Yeah, you know, we'll get through it. Some special love to, <laughs> to those folks out there with furry babies. Exactly. So, and you know. um, and well, I mean, Pride Pride Month is over, but you know, for those who had a wonderful Pride, Happy Pride. Happy Pride. And uh, as Norman and I always say, we got to find a better sign off, and we are. <laughs>